Hello, everybody. My name is Daniel Prince, and I am the host of the Once Bitten podcast. This is a podcast focused on Bitcoin. It's my mission to interview as many people as I can around the different aspects of Bitcoin and help people understand exactly what Bitcoin could mean for them and for their families and for their future. I hope you enjoy the show. Thank you so much for listening. Hey guys, girls, plebs, pleblings and plebets. Welcome to this edition of the Once Bitten Podcast. And joining me on the show is Laser Hoddle, who came out of nowhere to sit down with Marty Bent. I don't know how long ago, a handful of months ago now, but he's already done two or three shows with Marty and with some other guys as well. And I've just always been fascinated by his thesis his knowledge, his wisdom, his foresights, and the way he's just managed to kind of piece together many of the things that have been going on and kind of, you know, left us scratching our heads. And uh, he's got a, a great kind of map of joining these dots and, and helping at least me clear my mind about what's, uh, what's been going on and, and what we face and, and helping me kind of form more of an opinion. So I hope you enjoy this one with Laser. It's a great rip. I really appreciate you giving up all this time. Thank you very much for coming on. Before we do the show, make sure you are stacking your sats. And you can stack with so many great companies now in the US. You can stack with swanbitcoin.com in Europe. You can stack with Coin Corner. That's an exchange where you can smash buy as well as set up auto buys. You can DCA with Relay. That's spelled R-E-L-A-I. And Bitcoin Reserve now as well. Bitcoin Reserve can help you stack away or put on some big size. 50,000 euros or pounds or more. White glove service. Make sure you check them out. All links are in the show notes, right, guys? Remember this. That's going to take you to a landing page, which is going to unlock the features that these companies are willing to give you for listening to the show and um, showing them support. Shiftcrypto.ch forward slash bitten is going to save you 5% on your hardware wallet. Most important thing you need to do is take control of your coins. Get them on a hardware wallet. Use the Bitbox 02 Bitcoin only edition. It's a great piece of kit. And then if you want to get to the conference 6th and 9th of April 2022 in Miami, use the code bitten at checkout. You'll get 10% discount across all your tickets. All tickets are transferable, so you can sell them if you can't go, or they're 100% refundable if you cannot travel due to COVID. Here's Laser. All right, we're here with, who are we here with, Lauren? Uh, Laser Huddle? Yeah. Do you have a question, Lauren? I have two. <laughs> hey, Lauren. Hey, Daniel. Thanks oh, for having oh me. Oh my god! Our light just fell over. All right, that, that's a sign. You, you speak and you you like uh, this is going to be this is going to be a spiritual a spiritual part. <laughs> Laser, it's great I to. Uh, I, can't take, I can't take credit for that. It, it's great to uh, to chat. I, I know your voice, man. I've listened to you and Marty go on some very very deep rips, and it's been absolutely eye-opening and, and thank you for entering the space personally uh a big thank you from me uh and i'm sure on behalf of the community because it's been fascinating what you've what you've brought to the table and the thoughts that you've shared uh, and i'm sure a lot of people like me have been getting a lot of, you know a lot out of this to try and connect these dots and align these stars uh because you know we live in crazy times but that's just a quick personal shout out and thank you i now need to step aside because Move Lauren. out the way. 
So, uh, I got two questions, as you heard. So, the que- w- my first question is, why do people or you call yourself Laser Huddle on Twitter or anywhere else on social media? Okay, so I actually haven't talked about the epitomology of the, the Laser Huddle name. Like, where did the name came from? Um, I've never talked about that, and I've, I've probably done 50, 60 hours on podcasts so far. So... Um, this is a great opportunity to do so. Um, when I first joined, uh, when I first joined Twitter, my name was Hokkaido Laser. Hokkaido is a uh, the the most northern island in Japan. It's known for awesome food and and a really beautiful winter skiing and all this. But the the reason I chose that name was actually um, Hokkaido Laser. Um, if I remember correctly, it's the name of a government satellite uh, a, a, that's equipped with a laser beam um, out of the book True Names. True Names is a dystopian science fiction novella um, written in the 80s that started the whole cypherpunk genre. Um, and, and so the idea was um, it's a book where um, in, in real life, uh, government had become so totalitarian that people escaped into uh, cyberspace in order to have freedom. Um, but then government uh, came into cyberspace, created a kind of metaverse where there was very little waning rights, even in um, even online. And so this group of uh, freedom fighters basically um, basically hacked and 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 circumvented the totalitarian machine and. Um, ultimately preserved, cemented the individual, cemented freedom. Inside that, um, inside that novel, um, th- there was basically a social scoring system, kind of like what you see with China. And um, when uh, actors inside the metaverse didn't behave, uh, the government would come find you in real life. <laughs> and um, one of the things they could do is they could uh, blast your house with a uh, satellite. Um, one of those satellites was named the Finger of God, and the other one was Hokkaido Laser. So my the original name I chose for, for this name was Hokkaido Laser, um, but it was confusing to many. <laughs> it's not It doesn't roll off the tongue. Um, I think like three or four months in, I noticed people started adding HODL to the end of their name. So I switched my name to Hokkaido Hokkaido Laser HODL. And then I realized, wait, Laser HODL is available. And I looked across all the different websites like Twitter, um, GitHub. I saw laserhodl.com was available. So I'm like, wow, I, maybe I'll just use Laser HODL. And I switched. And from that point on, it, it kind of just stuck. Um, and so that's the origin story of of uh, this name laser huddle i love it it's it's a brilliant name man it, it couldn't have and, and what a great story to have got to that point and actually the avatar that you see is from the cover of the book true name so the the book that's sort of renowned for starting the cypherpunk genre um that that a lot of computer scientists sort of were inspired by that led to a lot of the e-monies and cryptography um, so this image uh, is um, the main character from True Names. What was the main character's name? Do you remember? Oh, geez. Put me on the spot. Um, Roger Pollock. <laughs> Roger Pollock. Roger Pollock. Right, okay, yeah, nothing like Satoshi Nakamoto. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> 
Roger Pollock. Well, someone's yeah. got to, I mean, that'll be the next pseudonym that comes out, right? It'll be, uh, you know, Pollock Hoddle or something or. <laughs> Pollock Hoddle. Yeah. Or Roger, Roger Hoddle. Who knows? Uh, yeah. True names. I've not heard of this book. I mean, as just a, just a Bitcoin pleb, is that something worth picking up or is this kind of like just for the cypherpunkists? Um, I think it, it's required reading for Bitcoiners. It's 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 one of the most it's it's underspoken about. It's it's hugely important to the story of um, freedom on the internet, cryptography, mm -hmm. internet as a means to route around censorship, and I think every Bitcoiner should read it. It's a, it's easily in the top ten, maybe even top five required reads. You know, Bitcoin Standard, um, uh, Sovereign Individual. Um, creature on Jekyll Island, true names, these kind of prolific titles is, is where it belongs next to. Man, okay, all right. I've made a note of that. I need to get onto it. Okay, Lauren, mm -hmm. your next question. My next question is, why are you anonymous? Yes. Um, okay, well, a couple of reasons. I mean, one, the, we're, we're currently in an in, in information war. And um, unlike previous wars where it's kind of boots on the ground and it's physical danger in your town, a lot of where this war is taking place is online. And so um, part of what I preach to families is to move down the risk gradient and become expensive to tyranny. And one of the ways that I've chosen to do that is to simplify my KYC person. So my real, my real life careersman, I've made that a very simple um, person based in software and family and Christianity. And, and so it's my, my actual person is very non-political, but I do a lot of thinking that that enters in the Bitcoin realm that enters into politics and talks about current events. And I've segregated that thinking into this character that that's for a couple things. I mean, one, it's for it's common sense. There's a there's a safety element to it, right? You know, when you're thinking controversially, um, you know, we have all the powers of the internet. You can use them to create these personas that aren't tied to your legal identity. So that makes tons of sense. Um, but also, uh, there's a um, there's a idealism aspect to it. Um, if you believe in where Bitcoin's taking us in terms of um, eroding the boundaries of the sovereign state and birthing a sort of free um, world in cyberspace where you could work from anywhere in the world, then you also believe that at the end of the day, your your legal identity is is going to command less and less relevance into the future. And so really what what remains when you're no longer, you know, Daniel Prince or you're no longer whoever your legal identity is, what will remain is your skills and your reputation. And so um, people in the in the cryptography community and the cypherpunks have long thought that um, we would enter a, a, an era of society where you could just work online with a character. Your character could have reputation. That would be good enough. I mean, reputation will become the... Um, you know, it's not only Bitcoin, right, money, but you also need reputation in order to... Uh, build a career, do jobs, um, uh, uh, collaborate with people, and so um, I, I kind of, I kind of adopted a NIM for the same reason of, you know, if if we are going into the sovereign era, um, 
you know, this Bitcoin era, um, it makes sense to front run that and start living uh, how you imagine people will live in the coming centuries. Very interesting. I got some more questions about that. But before I start stepping all over it, Lauren, do you have any more questions? No, I'm, I'm done. Yeah? yeah. Thank you, Lauren. Okay. No, no problem. Uh, see you whenever, I guess. Yes, and it's cool to have you on these pods. I think that's like the neatest part. More, more podcasters should replicate that. Thank you. With, uh, with their kids, although they could have you too. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'd never even thought of that. You... There you go, Lauren. You could start, you know, charging sats for other podcasters to bring you on to, uh, to ask the first few questions. That's actually genius. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean. You, you... Lauren Hoddle. Lauren Hoddle, yeah. Uh... You, you thought about starting your own show before, but it kind of. No, you you you're good for about ten minutes. Yeah, ten, <laughs> ten minutes is, is the max. Sometimes I like half an hour. That's the longest I've been on. With so. with who? Half an hour? Yeah, half, yeah. No way. The, Who's the longest person you've spoken to on the podcast? Uh, there's a lot of people to remember. <laughs> yeah, there is. Um, if it doesn't jump out at you, then it's not evident. So don't worry. Don't force it. You can come back if you want. We're going to be on here for, you know, an hour and a half. <laughs> I think this might be a thousand years. Okay. <laughs> Lauren, can I, ask you, can I ask you a question? Yeah, sure. What's your favorite little, like, Bitcoin, I don't want to say toy, but, like, piece of hardware? Do you have, like, a wallet that you kind of like that you, that you think is fun or, like, a, a app? Um, I have... What is the tissue? Is it that? No, it is, or is it a different one? You had, um, well, she doesn't have a phone yet. So. Daddy's keeping up the spreadsheet. Mm. I'm getting all, paid once a month. All, all sats are kept on, um, you know, Bank of Dad spreadsheet sort of thing. On the family is cool. Yeah, well, that's we, lucky. Which is, which is you know, in, in deep, cold storage. Uh, so that that's all fine. That's all, that's all safe. But um, today you were doing, uh, what, well, why don't you explain? You were doing some little art project today. Uh, so today I was doing this art project in my art class and it was where you had to like do like um, a room and do a door and then like you have to make it open it's pretty easy and so it, you can open and then you can draw inside um, so for the listeners like imagine like a piece of paper and a little flap a little bit like an advent calendar so behind the flap is a picture yeah so, yeah and so I made like a a Minecraft pig face on for uh, on a painting like a small little painting to fit in the uh, room and then when you open that I made a little safe so then you could open that and inside was a wallet of uh, for, for Bitcoin a Bitcoin wallet yes yeah. uh, so yeah in my mind <laughs> it, it's on the mind it's definitely on the mind uh, and it looks like, actually, it looks like a cold card. So uh, I know um, Shift Crypto is sponsored the show, but there you go. <laughs> you definitely drew a cold card. That's very good. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, and then we've we've got uh, the, the Sats ledger that uh, MTC did and uh, a bunch of stickers. 
We've got the little stamp, right, where we stamped buy Bitcoin on um, yeah, euro Yeah, I, I found notes. like five euros in the car and I was like, oh, look, wait, why is there this stamp thing on it? Buy Bitcoin. Is this even yeah. valid? Of course it's valid. But like it says like there's a little stamp on it. Would they have? It doesn't, it doesn't matter. Yes, you can write on banknotes. It doesn't matter as long as you don't tear them or anything like that. You probably improved the value. Mm-hmm. So like you just do like a monopoly money and just like just it is it monopoly really, money really quickly. No, but like you get what I mean. Yeah. And then you write on it real quick and then monopoly mm-hmm. money for adults. Yep. <laughs> for us adult slaves. Is that right? Okay, Lauren. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. I'm gonna go. Yeah. Uh, All right. So yeah. See you whenever. Whenever. And uh, yeah. Bye. Peace. Bye. Nice seeing you. You too. All right. Uh, thank you, Laser. Um, uh, so are we fucked? People like, uh, you know, Safe, Marty, Matt, Peter, John, Stefan, the other people in the, you know, the, the Bitcoin community that, um, you know, we, we don't hide our faces and we don't hide our names. Uh, this is like, you know, when I see people like yourself come into the space and you're just fully anonymous i kind of get this feeling like have i screwed something up here mm, no I, I wouldn't go that far i mean um i i think there's room for people to to have sort of place themselves ac- across the spectrum um i will say that it's it's certainly higher up the risk gradient than than i feel comfortable with um and you know having spent a whole career in software and and having a sense for what uh, computer vision can do and how it ties into um, sort of inescapable biometric digital identity. For, for me that, you know, that there's something problematic about that, but um, I, 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 you know, I, in practically speaking, I think there is room for, you know, a couple dozen, um, a couple dozen sort of KYC, influencers like true names um of course there's a risk there's like there's the snowden um uh assange risk um so so what you would do if you have your true name out there is just recognize that you're gonna have to be fairly like on on average you're gonna have to be fair fairly um wholesome and i think that that's good and that's fine um and and, you know it, it, it prohibits you from getting into some of the more um some of the, some of the the more like controversial top topics or at least being like a thought leader on it and um and I think that's okay I mean society is a blend of people across the gradient so yeah I, I don't think everyone has to be a nim I think that um there there's there there should be a group of kind of hardcore nims that carry that torch and 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 um share why they think it's important and and sort of have their mind to the future and and i think there's room for both of us Hmm. so you're saying i should stop tweeting stuff like please don't vaccinate your kids (laughs) well i mean it's just uh, so it just depends where where you are and and how like what stage in in the game that your your government is i mean so you know, one, one thing that's for sure is the West is completely committed to launching this new form of government. And there's no amount of like COVID bombshell is going to change that. And so you can just look across the board like um, Israel is like they're pretty late in the game. Right. So they have 
they GPS track everyone. People have an explicit score. They know about the score um, and they have movement passports. So you, you know, you check in with your government ID everywhere you go in physical space and they haven't launched internet passports yet, but in Australia, they, they have movement passports. Um, there's no explicit score yet, um, but they've talked about um, government regulation of the internet. And, and, and so there's good hints of internet passports. And, and of course, in China, in the main cities in Beijing and such, they have both. You have internet passports, you have movement passports, and you have a social score. So, um, you know, the, the, the closer your local government gets to um, launching this social scoring um, technocracy, the, the higher the risk uh, becomes for individuals and families, um, uh, uh, you know, being dissidents. And, and, and so if your question is, you know, what decides that, um, I, I'm not sure. I mean, ultimately, a small group of programmers decide that. And, um, uh, you know, I'm sure there's plenty of lower hanging fruit that has to be worked on before the people on Twitter saying, you know, please don't vaccinate children um, are addressed. Uh, uh, you know, they would probably address more active people. But, you know, it's a couple of years ago, we would laugh at the idea that, you know, you would post something on social media and then you'd have like police at your front door. And now that happens all over Europe. So, um, it, you know, that's where we are. I am not in love with what is going on in France right now. I can tell you that we have this past sanitaire system where, yeah, if you walk into a bar or a cafe or a restaurant, you've got to show your QR code. Um, and the only way you can get that QR code uh, is to have been vaccinated. And you, by the way, you'll never be fully vaccinated, anyone that's listening to this. Um, or you had COVID, like in our case, uh, and that gave you the the past sanitaire only for about, uh, about six months. So ours will expire in about six weeks' time. And then, you know, as far as the government's concerned, you cannot you cannot enter a um, a bar or a restaurant or a cafe, or go to a sporting event, or go to a concert, or even enter public transport. And we're very very close to Austria, and look what's going on there. It, it just is so beyond fucked up that I don't know how we wake up the rest of the people out there. I know people listening to this are probably orange-pilled Bitcoiners. And we just seem to be preaching to the choir, mate. It's just, it's, it's incredible. Well, I mean, wake them, we must. And, and only when there is a broad enough um, a coalition, a broad enough set of factions that are fully awake, does the real work begin? I mean, um, you know, none of this is about COVID, and, and that much is plainly clear. Um, you know, we're at the end of the 21st century, and this is, it's an it's a information war. And so they're logic bombs. They're bombs that, that jam up the system and make it impossible to, to move forward. It makes it impossible for society to get on with anything, and, and that's intentional. And, you know, you can look, you can look out to China where, where, you basically have um, global central banking. They went in, you know, they raised a superpower up in China uh, starting in the 70s, and they've experimented with uh, next gen statecraft. And, and they finally got the right shape, which is this, um, 
you know, and, and, and it's kind of the answer to like, how do you scale the state, right? Like you, you could actually say that the state was far too, in a, you know, I, I'm going to steel man it from their point of view. The state is far too inefficient. It doesn't give enough control for the cost. So it's this huge cost and the return is not very good. And given all the tools that we have, um, they should, we should be able to flip that, right? We should be able to make it where the cost is much lower and the degree of control is much higher, right? And so I think in, in China, they've experimented with this high-tech governance, right? And, and, and what they've done is, is they say, okay, if we have, um, if every single person has an ID, and it's an ID they can't escape because it's based on biometrics. So you can't you can't escape no matter where you are on Earth. You know you can be looked up by that ID. So that's the basis of it. And then we track what you do. So we watch what you do um, with omni omnipresent surveillance in real life. And so Japan has the most CCTV um, cameras on Earth. And and that allows and they use computer vision and facial recognition. And that allows them to watch how you behave in physical space. And then when you log on to the internet, you know, they have the great firewall of China. So you, do, you get on the internet with your government ID and that allows them to watch what you do in the digital space. So once you have a, an ID and, and there's a record of everything that all the actions you perform, um, you can basically assemble a room of programmers and they can come up with a social scoring algorithm where the actions that you perform are the inputs and the outputs are your social score. And then the only piece that you're missing is gates. You need social scoring gates, uh, things that penalize, you know, lift you up or push you down in society. And so then all you have to do is normalize um, as you move around physically throughout the city, throughout your town, uh, that you're scanning or being scanned, right? So you're scanning something or being scanned, um, and that's deciding your permissions, right? Or well, it's not deciding, it's enforcing your permissions. And the same thing would be true online, that as you're using different sites and services, um, you're, you're, they're checking your permissions to see what you're able to do. Um, if you can get a system like that from a governance point of view, you essentially can replace written law. You can, you know, you can replace most of the bureaucracy with a small group of technologists. Um, technologists with, so you have uh, social scoring engineers and you have the people that uh, grow and maintain the surveillance and gates. Um, and that's enough that, you know, you could have um, roughly, you know, call it like less than 10,000 people um, uh, uh, control in a very finite way the entire world, right? Um, because one, once, once your social score determines your mobility in society, right, whether you can be successful or whether you get shamed and pushed down into the dirt, um, th that thing basically becomes your god, right? And and only then could um, only then could central banks um, actually do what they're aiming at. And what they're aiming at is okay. So they they operate nation states separately, um, and 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 it gives you this sense of competition. Um, but it's it's not really a competition. I mean, at this point, it's a cartel, right? You know, the the monopoly on money. Uh, you know, these nation states are just line items on their portfolio, okay? And so they've had this problem for over 70 years. How do they actually consolidate their book of business and merge it into a single government? And, and part of it is they haven't, don't have the technology to do that. Um, they actually want to get leaner with more control, which is 
counterintuitive. Most people think it's, you know, when you think of a totalitarian world government, you think this big iron fist uh, military force all around you. But actually, they just need that for now while they're loading people into the social scoring system. Once you're into that perfect prison, they can get really slim. Um, they don't need to be that big. And and the other the other missing piece is like you can't really um, you can't really consolidate your big book of business into like uh, you know a single world government without uh, replacing war. And and war is really critical because you know the the money printing economics creates these really um, exaggerated cycles that create huge amount of um, uh, death and destruction and despair and, 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 you know, rob people of their future. So war has always been this thing to get us to huddle beneath the state and, and sort of shelter in place while they reset everything. And, and so if they don't have separate nation states, then uh, where does the war come from, right? Because war is coming from different countries. Um, so they needed to replace that too. And I think that explains um, these Malthusian forever wars. So, you know, wars on viruses and wars on the climate and wars on cyber terrorism and wars on racism, because they could, those can go on forever, right? And so then it starts to paint a picture, right? You get this kind of brave new world um, uh, uh, government where um, it's mostly technology is what's controlling you. The government's kind of invisible. The social score is your God and everyone in society is, is banded together in war against invisible enemies crafted by Malthusian bankers. And that I think is the actual vision. That's that, you know, that, that's what's behind the drastic roll up and consolidation in the West that we're living through right now. Are you aware of uh have you ever watched president macron's speech the first uh speech he addressed the nation with covid or on the topic of covid uh, when was it march, so first of all, march 2020 yeah so when okay. yeah when the hysteria loop officially kicked off at grand scale mm -hmm. absolutely so we had in europe we had the italian prime minister come out and just like plead in english uh, you know, don't make the same mistakes that we've made and blah, blah, blah. And then uh, I can't remember the exact order, but, you know, France and England, France and England were, were very close behind. Maybe France first. I, you know, forgive me, listeners, if I'm, if I'm getting this back to front. Uh, but then Spain and, and then the rest followed. But what was, what was really weird to me at that point when, you know, Macron addressed the nation when we were all still a little bit weirded out by what was going on, right? And you'd seen all of the uh, the Chinese videos and um, then you'd had yeah. the Italian minister come out and, and plead and, oh my God, everyone's falling over dead. And, you know, the, you know, it's just crazy weird. He addressed the nation and he must have said, this is war or we are at war anywhere between five and 10 times. So that makes exact sense with what you're saying about having this kind of you know, anchoring the nation to this feeling of war and we need to come together to fight this. We are at war with a virus. And then in the UK, what was going on, like the, the, it was ridiculous. Uh, and this was just post Brexit, right? You had four years of division, like just pure 50-50 division. And then you had the same in the States, right, with Trump. 
uh, was basically 50 50. The timing was perfect because people were just sick of it and they were divided. Families had been divided. It was it was bad, like really, really bad. You either voted to remain or to Brexit the European Union. Um, they they divided generations. They they blamed the the grey vote as they called it. You know all of this brilliant memeage that came out as well with um, with the whole you know debacle. Uh, but then of course this thing comes along, right? So you've got a nation of people that are yearning subconsciously to be reunited, and it was just absolutely perfect. And I think the same was probably going on in the US. People wanted to be reunited. You know, the, the Trump era definitely split families, split the whole country, split friends, um, you know, lifelong friends. And then this comes along and it gave everybody just something to hang on to in a unified manner. And in the UK, they were like, you know, presenting Johnson as our Churchill, they would say in, in newspapers. And when you look back on it, it's so obvious what they were doing brilliant to be honest they knew what they were doing yeah i mean it, it it is brilliant i mean there's so much irony too it's it's that you know in 1971 nixon took the u.s off the gold standard um and klaus schwab a uh, rothschild started the world economic forum and the whole idea is that it would be this annual steering committee with all the cantillionaires up front, uh, having a legal way to do discourse and planning and, and the liaison between the monopoly on money and the governments themselves. And for seven decades, they basically planned and prepared for a new world order. You, you know, you had, there was an era where uh, the Bushes and the Clintons were all saying it on live TV, um, where people were talking about it, and then they got kind of hush about it. And um, same thing, 1971, Kissinger went in and there's pictures of him hanging out with Mao and big cheery face, smiling, shaking hands with them. And here we are, you know, decades later, he's shaking hands with Xi and Klaus is shaking hands with Xi and Klaus's son is working up in the Chinese government. And, and you know, they, they're pitching this great reset. You know, it's not only a reset, which is common at the end of sovereign default, which of course in 2020, we entered the greatest sovereign default of all time. Governments across the West and across the world completely broke. Balance sheets don't work anymore. Can't service the debt. They all know the writing's on the wall. The bubble is going to come down. Either you let it pop in uncontrolled chaos, or you take advantage of it. You perform a controlled demolition in such a way that what you want next out of governance, what you want next in the in the new and improved version of, of statecraft, is the solution to the way that you demolished everything. And so, funny enough, you know these, the monopoly on money went into China. China was like the lab for next gen statecraft. They went in to work out this social scoring technocracy, right? So that was the lab because, you know, the West was already doing its mostly democratic thing. So it was already had it set sail, right? So there wasn't room to experiment with next gen stuff. You had to go into a country that wasn't brought up yet. You had to give them the access to uh, seniorage, the free money. Um, and that's exactly what happened. China brought into the UN in 1971, brought into the IMF, 
was raised up by by bankers of the West, and their country was used as the lab to create this next gen, this high tech statecraft. And so then the Great Reset is they they turned around and pitched to the West, listen, the everything bubble is about to pop. Uh, you're about to have global failure, right? Here's a plan. And we have this new version of government that we can import from the West, but you'll have to do it with us. And so you, and, 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 and the people say like, how could that be possible? How could, how could bankers like control everything? It's a, you know, the world's a vast distributed complex system. You can't control everything. And, and they're right. You can't, but what you can do is you can control incentives. And the, the, the greatest incentive on earth is the creation of credit. The whole world follows the creation of credit. It's addicted to it because that's how we kick the can this far down the road. Um, and so all the bankers had to do was attach the, the creation of credit to the birth of global governance. It was simple as simple as that. So um, countries, if you want, and, and so they created the IMF roughly 1971. And they created the SDR. The SDR is the standard drawing right. It's supposed to be this new base money that that is um, transnational. It's not attached to a nation. It's you know tongue in cheek way to say it. it's a globalist base money um, by the same bankers that um, are behind the West. And you know what they did in 2020 is they said, okay, we're having this pandemic. Countries that need vaccines, all they need to do is interact with this monetary instrument. We will put SDRs on your balance sheet and we will give you vaccines. So they actually married the drug companies with distribution of this new base money. And what you can see um, is that the SDRs didn't really have that big of a pickup from the 70s until now, but it's gone parabolic. Um, it's actually replaced, and, and at the same time, you're seeing the the dollar hegemony is fading fast. You know, the you know the United States is no longer in Afghanistan, propping up the petrodollar. Right, we've kind of evacuated that and given it to China or, or whatever. And and you can see countries moving around swift, right? So they're rearranging themselves, getting ready for CBDCs. At the same time, SDRs are going parabolic. So the balance sheets of all the countries that are obeying, playing along with the Great Reset, um, they're getting loaded down with SDRs on their balance sheets. And, and so that's a, that's a mechanism of reset because it's out with the old, in with the new. Um, and me mechanically, that, what's happening is the monopoly on money is able to lead them by the nose by saying, listen, we will grant you continuity through reset, through the collapse, you know, the collapse of confidence in government money, because that's what reset entails. It's when everyone realizes that government money, um, uh, you, you can't believe in it, and then liquidity on that money uh, vanishes, it leaves the room. And so the monopoly on money can basically say, listen, we can give you continuity, we can deliver you through this, uh, but you need these SDRs on your balance sheet, and that means you need to play along with the Great Reset. Um, so that's what you see at the country level. at the at the uh, multinational corporation level, you see um, ESGs mm. being rolled out. And so credit creation is now being attached to ESGs for companies. And so you see the same thing. ESGs are going parabolic. The way that com companies are getting access to credit is through ESGs. They're basically 
signaling that they're loyal to to global governance through, you know, quote unquote, green governance. But it's 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 that's the veneer. What's really happening is they're saying we're going to um, depart or de-emphasize our relationship with our localities, our local nation states, and we're going to commit to global governance. And we're going to do it by accepting continued credit creation and by uh, moving into SDRs. And that explains BlackRock tipping off all the companies saying, this is what's coming. This is what's coming. And it explains all the large moneyed cronyists basically saying this is you know this is where the world is going and what they're what they mean is this is where the the fountain of the cantillon effect is is taking us right we're being led in this direction by not because they they buy into any of the green uh, governance stuff it's because they want that prize position right next to credit creation okay and so that explains how the monopoly on money could lead all of the governments of the West, most of them, um, and most of the multinational big corporations. Um, and then finally, you have individuals. And the way that individuals are being marked for um, marked for loyalty to, to give continuity is through uh, compliance with this vaccine imperialism. So everyone that's illustrating that they're able to comply and they will they will willingly walk into this new form of governance, um, that's who will be given continuity. Um, and, and another way to think of it is you have um, you have SDR governance for nation states, ESG governance for multinational corporations, and social scoring governance for individuals. And they're all being cloaked in different forms of social justice and Malthusian forever wars. Um, so for countries, it's going to be uh, uh, you know the pandemic. For companies, it'll be environmentalism, um, and for um, uh, individuals, it's an extension of the pandemic because we're the you know supposed victims of it, and so we have to give away all of our rights and and jump into this um, social scoring system as as a form of salvation. Um, and, and so, if you look at previous reset, you know we're getting towards the end game of what reset entails. You know, once they've marked everyone for continuity, not far after, you should expect um, they'll let the whole thing collapse. So, and when I say the whole thing, I just mean confidence in government money. At some point, they'll let that collapse and they'll say, okay, well, we'll just all move it. You know, then it'll become overt. They'll say, okay, then here's the new system and we'll move into it. And enough people will have been on the end game, ready, positioned that um, the majority will follow, right? So you'll follow the herd because it'll represent safety. And so I think um, with CBDCs kind of starting to roll out, I expect we're going to see kind of peak reset in the coming. I, I, for, for me, it feels like 2023 all the way to 2026. Like that's the window when you're going to see that they, they won't kick the can any further down the line. They'll have enough of the new system showing normalized. They'll have enough of the loyalists already sort of onboarded that they could drop. Uh, they could drop the current system, and everyone will, just as a matter of safety, trying to stick with the horde, will will run into this the, this new global social scoring governance. Observe the masses and do the opposite, listeners. This is a very, very, very important quote 
And you, you lay it out so well. Um, and you're right on everything you said. I absolutely agree with everything you said. And this ESG narrative as well, like you said, the COVID forever war is being pushed onto us because, you know, at the end of the day, I, I now like to use that infographic that Marty um, was talking with Whitney Webb about, Ian Davies made, and at the bottom, we are called policy subjects, right? So I like to think of us now as policy subjects. Uh, so yet COVID gets pushed onto the policy subjects uh, via this, um, this, this mechanism of, of vaccines and vaccine passports and having to show a QR code wherever you want to go in life forever on some like app on your phone. But the ESG narrative gets pushed down on you too, right? Like, uh, yeah, the companies, well, if the big companies are doing all that they can to, you know, clean up the clean up the country, what are you doing? You, the individual, you, you're made to feel dirty because you're not sorting your rubbish bins correctly. You're made to feel dirty because you, uh, you know, you, you drop your kid to school uh, and perhaps you should have carpooled because you, you know, you, you climate heathen you, you, you planet killer. Uh, and then and really- it's really just code for it's it, it's social scores for all because at the base layer individuals have social scores based on how you act in society and that'll either um, lift you up you'll have better mobility better chances of success for yourself and your family or it'll push you down till you're exiled or disappeared or you know all the things that you see in like a china right but at the company level they you know they can govern you and they can pick winners and losers based on how well you cooperate with this racket right so they get to choose the industries that exist and don't exist it's a, it's a, it's a form of um, covert fascism high tech fascism right because what it's saying is the state is picking what exists and destroying what doesn't exist and it can do it through global governance of esgs and the craziest thing, I mean, the, the thing that most people aren't even realizing is that our politicians, not only are they selling, uh, are they giving up sovereignty of every individual and family, but they're giving up sovereignty of the, the nation state itself through these, S, um, uh, uh, these SDRs. The way it'll work is the center of gravity of all the money printing on earth will move behind the IMF, move behind the World Bank, move to the creation of SDRs. And basically your allegiance, loyalty to that, as far as a nation is concerned, how well you cooperate with their agendas, that will determine your share of credit creation. And so you'll have a central place on earth with a a central group of um, old banking families, that's the best way to, to say it, that will be able to control which countries can expand and which ones get shrank. And it's all of this is because the world became it's, it's sort of this deal with the devil. We, we, we signed the bloody contract about, okay, we will run the world on credit creation, credit creation that a 400 year old monopoly has controlled. Um, and, and, and now that we're all addicted to it, you know, they can, all they have to do is attach that to whatever mechanisms they want and we'll walk into it. Well, how do you sell it to the public, right? Because the public will never give away their rights. The public will never go along with all this. That's where the catastrophe engineering comes in. That's where crisis engineering comes in. Because look at what an incredible expedient COVID has been for this agenda. Basically, you paused, you suspend all written law across the whole world. That's what that's what war does. So all this written law gets suspend, suspended, and they've been able to roll this, this beast out. Um, of course, the COVID is only the movement passports, right? So they still need the internet passports. That's the other half of this because, you know, right now, the fact that we could do this podcast or that we could 
talk about this so freely is is evidence that they really need internet passports to do this, right? Like, you know, I've been spending, you know, 100 plus hours talking with people about what this is and, and they can't stop it right now. And so they really do have to get that next leg. And I, I think that's going to be really hard with decentralized tech, with stuff like Bitcoin, with more and more people waking up. But the question is, do enough people wake up in time that we could actually begin the real work of unwinding this? Because I think right now we're still in the phase that people think, oh man, just one more COVID bombshell and this whole thing will unwind. And it's like, that's not what's happening here. The you know the whole, the governments of the world have committed to rolling this, this new statecraft out. Oh man, I was, you know, I was watching just this week, right? Um, or two weeks, uh, depending on when, uh, when we air this and, you know, when, when people get to listen to this, but there's been there's been that hope, right? There's been Yeadon, yeah. there's been Malone, there's been McCulloch coming out. Um, you know, very very credible uh, gentlemen speaking up and against this thing. And it does watching it just gave me so much hope. It's like maybe this thing gets to turn around. Maybe we can you know still salvage something from this. How can this still go on? Uh, and the work that uh, you know Reiner Fulrich is doing um, and, and hoping to. To bring these people to trial, but you're, you're, I, I, it feels to me as though you're going to wager on, you know, against that happening. Well, I, I mean, first of all, those are all good developments, and you want a broad awakening, and and that's, you know, that's why I have relentlessly, you know, shared, spread this signal because, um, and I think we've actually, you know, we've passed a certain threshold. Um, I, you know, I felt a certain weight off my shoulders recently because I, you know, for for 18 months, I was wondering if if anyone would understand what I was talking about, um, if anyone would actually take it up and, and zoom out enough to see that this is, you know, this is not a two year story. This is a 70 year story. Um, and uh, and Bitcoin is a big part of, of what needs to happen. But, um, you know, you can't expect. COVID is not enough to explain what's happening. Um, and, and, and there's so much um, abnormalities and strangeness and just things that are not logical, things that are blatantly crazy in, in our face that you can't make sense of, that it, 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 it is a logic bomb. It is not something that we're trying to, like, it's not something that, oh, if only society will finally get the right idea about what it is and act logically. That's not even the challenge at hand. The challenge at hand is society has to realize it is a logic bomb and we need to zoom out and, and say, okay, it's a logic bomb in an info war. What is it about? And you can't zoom out any further than the money. It's all about the monetary system. Um, and, and, you know, you, you, it's, it's basically a World War Three. You know, the funny thing about World War One and World War Two is sovereign default happened before they started them. So you could actually look at the uh, the debt to GDP, and you could see they hockey stick. You get this massive parabola, and then you get a World War One. You get this massive parabola, then you get a World War Two. You get this massive parabola, and then you get COVID and all this chaos. And 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 you know it it, it could be as simple as nuclear weapons have proliferated so broadly that you can't have a hot war and they have the goal of of combining these countries and so if you if you have a hot war it kind of gets in the way of like consolidating the west right you you know you're trying to you're trying to basically 
fold the US and fold Canada and fold everyone into the UN. That's not in the UN, right? Get everyone on new base money, new IMF base money, so that when they launch their CDCs, their CBDCs, they're like, okay, our backing bucket is the SDR, right? So then you have different digital money experiments, but they're all backed by the same base money. And um, yeah, so, so you, you got to you got to upgrade war at the same time if you're going to upgrade the state. And I, and I think this thesis is the only thing that can explain um, the, the relentless global coordination and push that we've seen. Man, and I, 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 I'm going to read you uh, a little snippet that come across one of the Telegram groups that I belong to today. And if, if the listener is listening, uh, you know, thank you for sharing. I won't say your name in any way, shape or form. Um, but it reads like this, and then I'll let you riff on, on where you think this is going because you're going to know exactly where it's going. I received a letter from the bank in Israel today stating effective immediately, all credit cards will automatically expire at the end of every quarter and must be renewed quarterly if you want to continue having one. It's important to note the only way to obtain internet or cellular service is either with an Israeli credit card or by getting your provider access to debit, giving your granting, excuse me, your provider access to debit your Israeli bank account at will. No foreign forms of payment are accepted. Well, I think that it's, it's pretty self-explanatory. Um, the, the state needs to get its arms around internet access so that it can roll out internet passports movement passports is just half the score is important but if you can't if you can't surveil all actions of, of individuals then you can't come up with a real score you can't punish dissidents you can't celebrate loyalty in china when they have people that really comply really well they're like celebrated on commercials they're on billboards and stuff they get awards they get vacations they get to travel, they get to eat meat. And if you don't, you get pushed down, you get shamed publicly. Um, they do this public enemy number one thing where they'll, they'll, they'll find someone who's really bad and they'll, they'll broadcast it across TV and stuff. So everyone's rooting for that person to get caught. We saw this in Australia. They were doing this with, uh, with the guy was unvaccinated and he was leaving his building and traveling around, right? He was enemy number one. Um, and in China, if you really, if you really don't, you know, if you continue to disobey and, and not comply with, you know, basically satisfying your own social score, the game mechanics, if you don't lean into the game mechanics that make your social score go up, um, they'll pick you up and they'll, they'll re-educate you, right? And if you continue not to do it, you'll end up in a, in some type of camp. And, you know, the one thing I've learned from studying China is, you know, the, it's almost like the governments go from a covert, um, it, 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 instead of just being a covert, um, you know, human farming where it's like, okay, it's a racket that's about, you know, protection, but really you're paying them to protect you from them, right? And, and, and that's kind of how it is in the West. It's this covert racket. And you, you assume like, oh, well, we need them because roads and you don't want to get bombed, right? Okay. But in China, they've graduated from covert to overt, right? Like you are the product um, and you have to behave. And if you don't, 
um, you know, you end up in a camp and we will, you know, do all sorts of horrific things to you. And, and, and so I, I mean, it really is this gloves off, this gloves off totalitarianism, but the thing that's bizarre about it to me is that the West is really, you know, they spent a lot of time with cultural engineering. And so I think they really think they figured out the right facade, right? The right way to cloak it, to garb it in this kind of social justice, right? So I think we're going to get this really annoying form <laughs> of like, of like uh, overbearing nannyhood, where it's just like, we're doing all this stuff and it's to save the planet and it's to be fair and nice, but it's still going to be the death of autonomy of individuals and families. It's for your, and then fill in the blank, right? If you ever see any sentence start with those words, it's for your, just discount it. Like it could be safety or security or health or uh, convenience. It's all bullshit. Yeah, at, least, at least China has the balls to be overt, right? They, China's like, <laughs> okay, we're going we're gonna to go 1984. We're just going to do Iron Fist, right? It all serves the Red Kingdom. You know, this is the superior government and, and you're going to, you know, you're going to worship this government or we will beat you into dust. And, and right. And, and, and then you look around you and go, wow, look at all these complying people have generally okay livelihoods. Right. So it creates this, okay, it's overt, but in the, in the West, they're going brave new world where it's like, no, you're going to live in the insanity, right. You're going to live in the insanity and, and you're not going to know what truth is. And, and so I, I have more respect for the, the overt iron fist than this, than this, um, you know, this diluted social justice version of totalitarianism. I think that that is a far worse version of hell um, is to be surrounded with people who think they're like saving the planet. Um, and, and while they're willingly um, destroying the, the, the future's ability to live their own life. Man, what the hell did you see in your past life? Because all I know is you, you worked on the inside somewhere in big tech. I think that's about as much of you of you uh, that you have shared. But like, <sighs> so I, I worked in I worked in software. Um, I did it for about fifteen years. I, I worked and you know I, I started a few companies and I've worked in some some bigger companies. Um, built the front and back of of, of these tech stacks and and. Um, I was all, always uh, self-focused, right? I was just like, okay, doing software is like being a like an athlete or something. So you have like it's it's a short career, but you need to you need to have complete intense focus, right? And if you do it right, you're done in like ten to twenty years. And that so th that's what I was doing before Bitcoin, before um, uh, paying attention to geopolitics and what's happening in the world. I was just intensely focused on my own craft, my own skill set, um, you know, building ownership stakes in my own companies and other big companies. And, and um, when, you know, I'd already endured a lot of the bizarre social justice parasitism that was corrupting big tech, corrupting um, Silicon Valley. And, and um, so I'd already had to sort of put the fake smile on as I was being told I was this white this white like uh, supremacist or whatever and like going to classes and you know, all this junk that they they have you do they're literally brainwashing you through corporate bs and i already had to um, deal with there's a weird dynamic where um founders of companies and and um 
the C-level suites are, are basically being held hostage by social justice employees. It's a very funny dynamic. It's, it's at Google and you see it at Apple and uh, you know people who, who get angry at, at Jack when you're still at Twitter, they're like, Jack, how, how could you do all this censorship? And they have no idea what it's like, what it's actually like. What it's like is like, you know, um, it is completely forbidden to be sort of based, to be, to be a realist, um, to be conservative or freedom-minded in any sense. You have to be this collectivist, pink hair uh, Marxist almost. That's the culture of these companies. And, and so you know, I was already kind of at my breaking point. <laughs> I was already like, oh man, I don't, this, you know, these aren't my people. Um, when I started stacking Bitcoin in 2018. And of course, you know, I was already kind of on the edge, not sure about uh, the people I was surrounded with. Then I started, you know, I took the orange pill and that did a number on my worldview <laughs> and really made me realize, wow, the, I, these are not my people. I, I do not fit in here. Right. And my soul started tugging me like the next chapter has to be something way more based, way more adventure, way more, you know, Bitcoin made me realize there was something in me that wasn't fully realized. Right. So the next chapter had to be about letting that out. Um, and uh, so I was planning when to retire, planning with my wife, planning what we would do. And um, then, then COVID 2020 happened and that shit hit me like a lightning bolt. Um, it was just like, I was like, you know, I, I'm in a, a, an intellectual career. I, I deal with, with logic, you know, for 12, 15 hours a day, I crammed logic programs and I built and oriented teams and we, you know, we, we attacked roadmaps and we, we built things, right. We were builders, but we, you know, we, we worked in logic and when COVID hit, it was it was clear to me it was a logic bomb because it made my brain explode because I got so furious um, with the fact that none of it made sense and people were ignoring all the basic decision points and 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 the basic aspects of it that it, it basically made me shut down. And I think that's what logic bombs are supposed to do. They're supposed to paralyze your thinkers in society. Um, and so, it, yeah, I felt that it was paralyzing. And, and, and so instead of checking out, which I did have that feeling of like, screw this, I'll just go back to my work and I'll just hope this goes away, right? This will go away. Instead of doing that, I looked deeper, I looked deeper and um, I, I connected it in like, I think it was June, 2020. And it, it was honestly, it, it almost shattered my person. It was so hard when I realized I just had this deepest feeling that I was holding the truth. And it, was, it became the heaviest thing in the world. And the only thing I could do was sort of set myself to unburdening myself by sharing it and, and testing the thesis, right? Exercising it. If I talked about it, if I shared it with people, if I worked on it with other people, if I consumed a bunch of history, if I, if I um, just made myself way smarter and way more able to contend with this, um, if I found, you know, Jesus Christ, if I could I endure this terrible truth? Because the truth really is terrible. And it really is something that is hard to endure. Um, and the answer was, yes, the more I did those actions, the more I could endure it. But it also meant um, I had to change everything. I mean, when, when I realized that what the way to beat this thing was, you essentially have to move down the risk gradient in all parts of your life, physically and digitally, you want to be at the end of the risk gradient, which is to say, you want to live in a way that it's expensive to uh, bring tyranny to you, be expensive to tyranny. And 
And the more I looked into it, I realized in the past, there was never another game for reset. Like what happened in the past was the monopoly on money would go to all its uh, 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 countries and it would go to the biggest companies and it would say, look, this whole thing <laughs> is coming down soon. Here's what you have to do to get through it. Here's the game. This is what you'll do. And um, you really didn't have another game in town. So you said, okay. And, and whether whatever it was, like, okay, there's going to be a world war. And so here's what I'm going to do. And here's how we're going to align ourselves. And they're going to reset the monetary system. And okay, right? So you would play along. Because you didn't want to, you didn't want to perish. <laughs> you don't want to get, dis you know, you didn't want to just uh, uh, be pulled under by the collapse of the monetary system. So, but, but now we have Bitcoin. We do have another game. And, and you know, the fact that you see companies, it's changing the way companies think, but they're like, oh, you mean if I add Bitcoin to my balance sheet, I, I can actually start thinking about the world differently. I can think about dis business differently. I can think it really is the orange pill is changing the DNA of companies. It's reprogramming them. They're realizing it. And these prolific investors are like, you know, even they feel kind of to a certain extent, there's like a, a relief factor, like, wow, Bitcoin really is a different game. It's not, you know, it's not just another asset. I can, you can totally change the rules of everything if you can take on Bitcoin and even countries, you have El Salvador um, uh, taking, you know, be, making Bitcoin legal tender and running Bitcoin bonds and saying, we'll start a city. Although I will say, um, I'm not comfortable seeing El Salvador out there alone this long. There has to be other countries that follow suit. Mm. He worries me um, because he he's so bullish and he's he's you know he's a brilliant dunker on Twitter. Um, I fear for his safety, to be quite honest, because the uh, the previous people that have gone up in in his position that have gone up against uh, the U.S. dollar and the global world currency, um, they're, they're not around anymore. Yeah, I mean, and, and, and that's, you know, that really is the proper way to view history is through um, monetary circumstances, like who is the reserve currency, because um, most conflicts flow from that. I mean, in most, you know, Saddam, right, trying to leave the mm -hmm. dollar hegemony, right, um, uh, us uh, leaving the Middle East, that has to be tied to a monetary event. I don't know if mm -hmm. they're basically demolishing U.S. Uh, hegemony. Um, so, so. The Gaddafi. right way to do it. Yeah, Gaddafi. yeah, exactly. Um, uh, uh, you know, um, 9-11 to a certain extent. I mean, 9-11 is what brought movement passports in between countries, right? We didn't have that before. You could just have your driver's license and, you, you know, buy a ticket on, uh, and you could, you know, be in Dubai or whatever. Um, but now, you know, we, it's long been normalized, um, not only movement passports, but... Um, but uh, dragnet surveillance, I mean, funny thing is, that's the first part of a social scoring system. You need the dragnet surveillance that just vacuums up everyone's activities. And so it's, it's, this is why I say it really is a multi-decade thing. But what you want to do is, is view it all through the lens of money, because that's the easiest way to make sense of it. Other words, it just, you know, you can get caught in like the conservative trap. Everything's a psyop. Well, to what end, right? If if you don't have a thesis that actually describes why it's all flowing in this direction and what direction indeed it is flowing, 
then you don't really have anything. You're just grabbing at little gotchas, like, aha. And, and that doesn't help anyone, right? So it, 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 it is useful to say, okay, the basic idea of the last two years, you know, from 2020 till now, 2022, beginning of 2022, is that um, the world has entered the greatest sovereign default of all time. The West has agreed on their playbook for monetary reset. They're going to upgrade the state. They're going to import what was developed in China as far as high-tech governance. And um, when the time is right, they will reset. And reset means they will open up the gates to the new system fully. So whatever you know, they haven't normalized or partially rolled out, they'll open it up and they will give jubilee to the players that signed up. So people will have their debts cleared through some mechanism or another. And they'll be granted continuity, meaning the, the government, the monopoly on money will ensure that the, the loyalists survive, right? Um, and that's what reset is. And, um, and, but in order to do that very dangerous business of resetting the, the balance sheets of all these nations, they need a world war. That's what COVID is. Um, but, you know, they can choose. Is it, is it absolute chaos of collapse and they don't get it, you know, and, and, and who knows what happens? Or is it control, you know, it's, is, the, is the lesser evil a controlled chaos, a plan that tears things down in a way that gives them uh, what they want in the next monetary cycle? Um, and so that explains the last two years. I think it's going to explain the next eight years. But um, I don't, you know, I, I think Bitcoin is, everything good depends on Bitcoin. Let me put it that way. I mean, if you care about um, individual sovereignty. If you care about families um, not being, you know, fa families existing in, in, the, in the form that we think about them, families that have decision-making power about their own family, right? Um, that, that degree of freedom, that, that, those basics. Um, if you care about being able to eat ancestral foods and, and having control of your time and, and having privacy, like all, all of these things that are like basic fundamentals, um, if you care about any of those, then Bitcoin really is the most important thing to you, whether you know it or not. How did you find it? How did that orange pill make its way to you? Okay, so, well, the, the weird thing about the software industry is we all dismissed Bitcoin. <laughs> so, <laughs> Mate, I worked in foreign exchange. I dismissed Bitcoin. Don't worry. <laughs> so, I mean, as arrogant as, as we are, you know, because you have to imagine, so you're in an industry and you're, you're making, you know, the average is like 100K to, you know, a million total comp annually. So you already think you've figured it out and you're building the tech for the world, right? As far as you're concerned. So you're like, what is this thing on the side some people are geeking out about? And all I could see when I first saw it was like, okay, so that's the world's most inefficient, expensive database. You know, okay, <laughs> what, what, why does that matter? And, and, the, and the reality was is, um, I had always worked in big, you know, a corporation is a trusted environment. So the, the components and the different um, primitives, the, the different technological elements within a company trust each other, right? They don't have to assume an adversarial environment. And, and, and most software engineers have never even encountered that concept. You know, maybe, you know, the cypherpunks, Julian Assange and all them, they're, you know, cartographers, 
they get it right because they're working with activists and they you know they're they're kind of futurists they're thinking through this kind of anarchical end game like what what if what if you know we what if we could exist without the state and or what would it look like if if the individual naturally usurped the state on a long enough time scale but um in big tech like if you're in a soft ironically if you have a, a career in software like you don't even think about adversarial tech right and so that's that's what happened we all just went oh that is a really really bad database and and, and not realizing the whole okay the cost is that the um consensus algorithm is is computationally expensive really expensive i mean it's so expensive that the only application would be base money, um, and and the re and, and so yes, you pay down this computationally expensive cost more than any database that's ever existed, right? Um, but what you get is money that governments can't control, that nobody can control, a monetary policy that's completely static and immutable, and and uh, you know. You know, when you sit close to the Cantillon effect, like software engineers do, where you're the beneficiary of all this cheap money, all this easy money coming out of LPs and venture capital, um, you have a massive blind spot because you just don't understand what it would be like not to have, the, not to benefit from the Cantillon effect. So, so it, in a weird, ironic way, the people that benefit the most from this system today are probably going to get the, you know, they're they're going to end up last to bitcoin because we 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 just didn't get it and and so you know i actually had arguments with um peers who who said you know taxes are the or excuse me inflation is the only tax that the ultra rich can escape right that's how diluted that's how diluted and high um uh, uh the you know the the progressive left software industry is so um you know, I, I hope that gives you a sense for how could I understand Bitcoin? I think that's a better question. How in that environment, how could you? Right. And I think every every professional that that is um, that is benefiting off money printing is is, you know, in this weird justice type of way is going to end up, you know, towards the end of the Bitcoin adoption curve. Exactly the same for me. Uh, and you know, even the people that I'm still in contact with in, in that business, they don't want to listen. You know, they, they, they might have bought some because you know I, I wouldn't shut up about it, and that, that perhaps they still respect me in some way, shape, or form. But they don't listen to the podcast. They're um, they're too wrapped up in the fact that uh, you know, with, with you, what you described, you were building the tech for tomorrow. What we were doing, we were moving the money around, man. Like that, that was our job. We, we were as apex fear as you get, you know, we, we were brokering uh, foreign exchange currency options. The, the money that was being moved from hedge fund through bank, uh, you know, international, you know, huge banks in hundreds of millions of dollars, <laughs> six trillion a day. Uh, yeah, how could you ever like consider that there's going to be this geek internet money that's going to come out of nowhere and start slowly eating through every incentive structure that's ever lived yeah well and so you're in the epicenter of the of the cantillon effect and and the thing is is yeah i never had to consider that um something might come after government something might need to come after government something might come after corporations i mean i just knew that i played the game the best that I could 
worked my ass off to try and get ahead. And even then, I remember I had several moments in my career where I was like, dude, I, I had this round number figured out in my head of how much um, I would need to aim at in order to be able to like retire and actually have time with my kids and actually have a few tangibles that I cared about, right? Actually build a life that I wanted. And every time I would have some success, I would look and I would be like, why is that number? Why is it getting pushed further out? Right. Mm -hmm. So even at, at, at my end of the spectrum, um, where I was very well off, you know, it's all relative, right? I still felt my goalposts being shifted. And so I, I did develop a kind of anger at that because I was just like, man, because I didn't love the rat race per se. I mean, I, uh, you know, I, I do love software. I love building things. I have a family of, of people who who build things. And 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 um, but that doesn't mean I enjoyed the rat race. The rat race was terrible. I hated Silicon Valley. I hated uh, these corporations and I hated a lot of the game. And, and so um, I think it was like it was like five years after I already um just disregarded Bitcoin that I think it, it was actually probably it was a, a bull run after that is probably what happened. And then it came roaring. And then I, I think a few people at work were saying, you know, we're excited about it. And I think I said, okay, let me look at it again. Um, because it didn't go away, right. It didn't go away. So there's something there. What is there something there? And I started peeling back the layers and I got into, I think it was, uh, I, stumbled on the Bitcoin standard and, and realized the whole hist historical element to it and was really intrigued on the story of money. Um, and uh, yeah, it really acted as kind of an orange pill, a red pill. I realized how much of the injustice is baked in at the base layer of society in the money. And, um, and then I was sold. And I mean, then it's the classic story. I, you know, I started in, you know, investing a little bit and a little bit turned into a lot of bit, dumped my whole retirement in, right? And here we are, um, uh, 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 you know, 18 to 2018 to 22. Now I'm, now I have, you know, zero dollars. I haven't touched a penny in months and I'm living on Bitcoin. So I mean, <laughs> it, 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 it comes at you quick, but I think, you know, when I realized that we were in reset, that we were in monetary reset, um, you know, I, I kind of realized, oh, the, the, the best time to learn to live on Bitcoin is before your local currency fails. Um, and, and, you know, in like World War One and World War Two, it took um, it took four years for sovereigns to um, uh, exhaust their citizens uh, purchasing purchasing power. And the, the war kind of that that's like the peak moment of war. And then it fizzled out after that. And so we're like two years in, right? We're two years in to World War III. Um, and so- Inflation's you know, pretty high. <laughs> yeah, inflation's high. So, I mean, if, if the last two world wars can be a judge, um, then purchasing power that can be extracted through inflation will last us about two more years. And I actually think that that's a very good estimate. I think we'll see peak reset um, around 2023 to 2025. Um, and that'll look something like, okay, there's no more- productive capital to extract from the previous cycle. We have enough of the new system out. Let's, uh, you know, build in seven this thing and, um, and get on to getting on to the next, next uh, cycle. And I think it'll probably take them, you know, they're probably planning. It'll take five years to roll out uh, the, the, the new system in, in completion. And, um, and uh, yeah, it, it's, you know, it's kind of like they're letting, 
the herd back in, you know, they've heard, they've rounded us up and now they'll let us back into society. Except, you know, ironically enough, the shape of, of what they're talking about, you know, it does seem to be, you know, it does seem to omit free travel. <laughs> like it, mm. uh, an explicit goal does seem to be that we're all in our little places, our homes, and that they use incentives to pull society into uh, smart cities, mega cities. Um, and that movement will probably on a long enough horizon be rewarded, right? Um, in the same way, you know, in China today, you can win a, you win a vacation, you go travel to some of their beautiful countryside which is preserved now because of their policies. Um, I think that that's probably want what they want for the West, like almost like they're clawing back the wild areas to preserve them. Um, so, so, you know, what, what I kind of asked myself was like, okay, how would, how would my household behave? You know, how, how would we behave if, we wanted to not participate in any of that, right? <laughs> if I wanted to just move as far away from all of that as possible, um, and, and you know, I was already a Bitcoin investor when this stuff happened and, and, and I, like a long-term hodler. And then I realized like, well, can I just become a Bitcoin citizen? Like how many, how many strings can I sever with the state? Can I, how much can I move my household into the, bit, the nation of Bitcoin? And that's the experiment. That's the point of the journey that I'm at now, which is um, what are all the things that attaches me uh, to the United States? Um, and, and can I streamline that? Can I lean that up? Because I don't know what the future holds, but I know that um, Bitcoin is world money and it can't be confiscated. But if you're stuck in a single jurisdiction, that might that might get in the way as the world changes. And, and so that's kind of where my thinking is right now. Hmm. I'd love to know, and I'm sure many of the listeners would as well, like, um, you know, you're very vociferous about this on Twitter, you know, um, get on zero fiat. Uh, how do you still bridge those two worlds? Because obviously you, you need fiat dollars to, either pay your rent or your mortgage or, you know, go out and enjoy yourself, uh, you know, leisure time, uh, whether it's the movies, restaurants, bars, theme parks, you know, whatever your bent is. Um, what, what kind of services are you using that, uh, that you might want to, you know, point the plebs towards or kind of, um, you know, bows in your quiver? Yeah, well, I, I think what I'd say is, is don't, don't trust quiver, Excuse me. <laughs> I didn't even catch that. I think I'd say is don't trust any of my recommendations on face value. Use it as a starting place when you mm. do your own evaluation for what it would mean for your household and um, take it with a grain of salt because um, so I'll just give you my thinking and then, you know, you could apply that to your world as mm. it fits. Um, so I, I'm retired, so I don't have an income coming in. Um, we hold 100% of our monetary energy in Bitcoin. Um, and I view it in a kind of classical way. I'm like, okay, I have retirement, I have savings, I have a checking. That's how I break it up. And I, so I have retirement Bitcoin that's in really deep freeze. And most of my savings is in a kind of deep freeze, which is like carefully constructed cold storage that can, that, that will ensure I don't lose Bitcoin and ensure it can't be stolen. Okay. Um, and, and that's, that is really within the Bitcoin ethos. Cause up until now, like the Bitcoin ethos is 
you know, stack sats, save in Bitcoin. And that's, that is the right starting place. Um, so I always recommend that to new people start by saving in Bitcoin because you, you need time to be orange pilled. You need time for that progression. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, but I, you know, more and more I'm starting to think like, okay, stack, stack sats, stay humble stack sats is kind of like a low inflation meme. <laughs> um, like as as inflation gets steeper and steeper, there's an inflection point. You just look at how money fails. You look at countries where um, money has failed. It, 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 there's an inflection point where you, you know, instead of just saving, you know, let's say you're in Venezuela, you might save in dollars and, instead of bolivars. And well, that made great sense. Um, or you might um, it, it, that made huge sense. Um, but. And so you might, you know, you get your paycheck and you pay off your bills and you go grocery shopping, you do all the stuff. And then at the end of the day, you move what's left into dollars. And like that made perfect sense when inflation wasn't out of control. But once it got steep, there was an inflection point where you didn't want to hold bolivars for days or hours, right? It would punt, it would steal from you if you did. Um, and this is why you saw in, um, in Venezuela and other countries that had hyperinflation, um, or, or loss of confidence in government money, either, you know, in an upwards direct or a downward. So hyperinflation or, or just um, a deflationary spiral, spiral is people would race to get everything bought right away. So you'd race out to get your groceries bought and race out, you know, because you knew if you held that money too long, it'd steal from you. And so, um, you know, if, you're in, if you were in that time, it would have made a lot of sense to figure out how to live on dollars right? Instead of just like saving in it. Like, can you live on dollars now? And, and you would need a service that would let you convert your dollars at the last minute to Bolivars in, in the, into the local shitcoin, right? In the case that, some, you know, your vendors or goods and services required it, right? That's the money they wanted. So you go, ooh, and you convert the dollars to shitcoins and, hand, and they would give you the goods and service. So if you, if you could find a service that automated that, you could just live in dollars, right? You'd get your, your Bolivar paycheck, but instantly you'd have that converted to dollars, 100% of your monetary energy in dollars. And then um, when people wanted the local shitcoin, they wanted Bolivars, you just converted to it the last moment, automatically, ideally, you know, where you don't even have to think about it. You, you know, from your point of view, you're just spending dollars. Um, that would have been really smart. Um, and so I think of the same thing, like, okay, we're in, we're in a place where, um, we're in a place where, uh, U.S. debt is no longer desirable. Uh, the The central bank buys more of our debt than anyone else on wor- in the world. So we cross that critical threshold where you typically see uh, it cools off a lot faster from here. You know, once a once once a sovereign is buying over half its own debt is usually a critical marker in terms of the desirability of of um, Purchasing that debt, and when you when I say purchasing that debt, what I mean is it's countries willing to eat our inflation, right? Because we actually export our inflation a good deal of it through the creation of treasuries, um, and then we import deflation by importing um, cheap products from China and Venezuela, uh, Vietnam, and uh, Mexico, and. But when your debt becomes undesirable because countries know that you're being frivolous with money printing, and, and indeed the U.S. is printing record um, amount of dollars. I mean, I think uh, 80% of all dollars uh, were created in the last, I think it was some terrible stat, like the last three years. Um, so, you know, 
onlookers, countries that see that, obviously they don't want U.S. debt um, with, with those with those numbers. Those aren't, and that changes the dynamics about where your inflation can go. The inflation can't escape. You're not able to import deflation either. So you end up with a catch twenty two where you know I could tell in March 2020, um, and in June I was very certain that um, inflation was going to get red hot and eventually white hot because um, it would have nowhere to go but show up locally. And, and they weren't also going to be able to cool off the money printing because once you hit a certain inflection where everything is running on credit creation, you can't go back. You just have to study Weimar. Weimar, it was, it was a slow motion crash. They knew that that, that ended in shambles, but they, they had no choice. They, they crossed this inflection point. So and that's the same thing with Venezuela or Zimbabwe. It's like there, there's plenty of history that these countries know that that leads in ruin, yet they can't stop themselves. And so I think, um, you know, with the U.S. losing the dollar uh, hegemony, with the dollar, with the reserve status uh, evaporating quickly, with the center of gravity moving from dollars to SDRs, um, with the, the Fed buying more debt. U.S. debt than foreign countries, with the U.S. running out of places to import deflation, to me, that equation spells um, uh, continued and steepening inflation. So I just imagine myself as a Venezuelan, you know, if I could live on a harder currency, figure out how to live on that, that would be better. And it's the same thing, you know, now as an American, I'm like, can my family learn to live on a harder currency now? Can we front load the pain, whatever pain might exist? Um, and, and, and figure that out. And would that be smart? Um, and I think for, for me, at least the answer was yes. Uh, um, now there is pain. Uh, so, so first of all, the biggest pain is that just the tool set is really immature. Mm. Um, uh, so like, I, I know some folks on Twitter, they like, they have auto paycheck conversion with strike and then they do their spending with cash out. And like they've been able to manage get on zero with the combination of those two, um, and okay, that's interesting. Um, the the way that uh, my household does it is we put our um, our month to month expenses on credit cards, um, and uh, I actually I, I like using like a zero percent APR card that gives you like fifteen months, so you can pay the minimum for fifteen months, and then at the end you should pay it all off and. And so then what I do is I hold, um, instead of having a runway in a traditional checking account, I use a Bitcoin checking account. And so there's a startup in Austin called Level. Um, they are pretty new. They started playing with this idea of like, what if we did a crypto bank, which is to say you had normal banking features. You had like um, an ATM card, so you can go to the ATM and you had a debit card, so you could use it like a debit card. You could do wires and ACH um, transfers and uh, you can, you know, you have a check. All those banking things that the fiat world requires. What if we gave you that functionality, but then you could hold your monetary energy in like Bitcoin. And I think they started with Litecoin and Ethereum, but they're dumping those to go Bitcoin only. They basically ran a test and said and learned that only people, Bitcoin is the only thing people would be willing to use as money. So for that checking use case, um, the shitcoins didn't make a lot of sense. So um, what we've 
like committed to do is like give them a chance, you know, they're this early seed startup. And so we just use them as a checking account. Um, and when we pay that monthly minimal um, credit card bill, we just convert some Bitcoin to dollars. They don't have a fee to go between Bitcoin and dollars. And then I just pay the credit card off because it can act like a normal bank. Um, I've used it to get cash that way. I've used it to do various banking things. I sent a wire the other day that way. Um, right now, I have to manually convert Bitcoin to dollars, but they're going to launch um, auto conversion. And then that's really interesting, right? Because you could like have your paycheck come in and have it auto convert to Bitcoin. All your monetary energy in your checking account is in Bitcoin. When you do stuff with your bank, it just auto grabs the correct amount of Bitcoin and converts it to your local shitcoin dollars, right? Like, okay, as a tool, like that could fit the bill. Um, if for, for some reason the purchasing power in your checking account like grew too large, you're like, oh, I don't want this much sats with the custodian. You just with, withdraw it, right? You withdraw it to cold storage. Um, so they have withdrawal and deposit. You could, and that's interesting too, because you could actually like load your checking account up with more sats. Um, so it just acts as like a, a like a glue to the fiat world. Um, and so that that's how my household um, manages get on zero. Um, I I, th I think for an environment where inflation is steeper, it's you know the get on zero meme is appropriate, but. Um, the thing to keep in mind is the tool set is naive, right? Level could just fail and like take my checking account with me. That would suck, um, but it, that's a risk. Um, the other thing is, is that, so I pay this credit card bill off 12 times a month and I'm selling Bitcoin to do it, right? So that there's 12 taxable transactions there, right? So level will give me a, like an auto-generated form. I can upload to TurboTax or hand to an accountant. Um, I work with an accountant. That's how I've been doing it for a while. So um, that's the other cost. So, um, you know, it's not painless. If I was in El Salvador, great. We just load up our lightning wallets and we go, you know, shopping and that's perfect. But, um, I'm not in El Salvador and with reset and, you know, a collapse of confidence in government money nearing, in my opinion, I don't, I don't want my household to wait until my government says Bitcoin is legal tender. I want us to live on Bitcoin now. I want us to absorb the cost, the pain, front load that pain now so that when there's a scramble, we're completely adapted ahead of time. That's a good plan. You're flexing. Uh, yeah, you're, you're training your muscles, basically. Um, yeah. And, and for those people that are you know thinking about this and it's on their mind, there, there is a company out there called Bitwage. And I did a uh, uh, an interview with uh, Jonathan Chester, their founder. And you can just create an account with them and plug in with them and choose a certain amount of your, you know, a certain percentage of your monthly wage, which you just convert into Bitcoin and you can use that as your, your savings account. So it's definitely worth checking out. They are, uh, yeah, I just had Alex uh, Quinali on a, a US soccer player who's using Bitwage to, um, yeah, to exchange 25% of his earnings, his monthly salary into Bitcoin. Uh, and they are, they're, they're lightning enabled now as well. And, um, you know, I'm not shilling them. They're not a sponsor of the show. They uh, are a very good service and I use them myself. So um, if you were not aware, it's definitely worth checking out. I'm not shilling, you know, I, I, I'm curious about Bitwage. I, I'm trying out level. Um, they don't pay me. Um, 
you know, I could end up eating humble pie if they fail. Um, I, I think what I'm after is like, I want to, I'm married to the problem. The problem is like, well, as inflation steepens, people might not want to wait until, you know, uh, Bitcoin is declared legal tender, right? You might want to move on to the Bitcoin standard ahead of time. And so what I want to do is attract startups to compete. So I would love there to be like five or six players all filling this space. I know like um, Strike is, they're talking about doing like salary direct deposit support and they're talking. Um, and I know uh, Fold is talking a credit, a Satspec credit card instead of just a prepaid card. So, you know, we want, we, we don't know how long it's going to be that un until we're in the Bitcoin era. Like we have to sail out this fiat era together. So we want a bunch of players that provide these type of tools so that Bitcoiners can live in the fiat world as Bitcoin citizens. And, and um, so that's what I care about. And, and um, you know, if you try level or Bitwage, I would say, don't, tr you know, never take anyone's advice at face value. Use that as a starting place. Make your own evaluation. And what I will say is, the style of converting and living on your Bitcoin, you, you have to be aware that even though with high inflation, even as the dollar is losing, you know, half its purchasing power every 18 months or less, um, Bitcoin still, um, Bitcoin still oscillates against that. It still has volatility against that inflation profile. So Bitcoin could go down, you know, 50% in a matter of months. Right. And, and mm -hmm. so what, what, the, the thing I would say, it, it, I know it sounds like common sense, but like if you don't have a savings, right? So if you don't have a, a, a generous savings, then, then you know, there, the, the cost of trying to move your checking first, live, you know, all Bitcoin, I wouldn't go in that order. I would wait until you had a savings um, and like a very simple, easy way to think about it. If you're conservative, you know, if your cost of living was less than 1% of your total purchasing power, well, then it might actually make more sense on a two plus year time horizon to move that last 1% and learn to live in Bitcoin, right? Um, if, if your cost of living is, um, you know, 80% of your purchasing power, um, you should double down on savings, work on skills, work on producing value for the world, hustle, create a deep savings first. Um, and then the stack sats meme works, but uh, what I will say is that because governments are being irresponsible with money printing, um, it you know the steeper it gets, the the more you end up in that Venezuela situation where like there's got to be pain no matter what. You have to choose what pain it is. Um, and I understand the pain of Bitcoin. I understand you know the seasonality of it, and it's it's a pain I'm comfortable with. And so you know that that's what informed my unique decision. It was that you know my household has generous savings and we understand bitcoin um we don't understand how the world monetary system is going to fail so i'm not willing to play that game we want to we so we, we wanted to opt out of that yeah absolutely and it and coming back to the this idea that we, we touched on it briefly earlier about um you know our, um our fear, you know for for bukele uh getting ahead of the game perhaps yes. um what what about sailor you know, you, you, you come from that, that world, that software world, um, you know, uh, the, the, the tech industry, you, you know that pretty much inside out, uh, as he does. Um, I mean, but he's been aggressively stacking Bitcoin. He's taken his company onto a Bitcoin standard. Uh, is he, 
he's done it in in a brilliant way i think in a respectful way he's he's not uh ruffled any feathers politically or with the sec or anybody else you know he's he's played that wicket straight as we would st- uh, as we would say in in the uk but ultimately he he does he he's he's planted a flag right uh yes do you have concerns there and i mean can he play this ESG narrative? Does he need to? How are they going to come for him if they want? Um, have you gone through that thought process? Yeah. Well, Sailor obviously has carried his weight and then some. I mean, to, to, to be the pioneer of, of sort of architecting, feeling out, really illustrating how companies can think about Bitcoin. Um, how they can use it as a reserve asset, especially in light of all the companies that hold just evaporating dollars. I mean, there's such a critical problem area there that he's really uh, made so much ground on um, to see the adoption of corporations sort of realizing. Um, so, so Sailor, we, we owe him a lot of credit for that. And the rounds that he makes through talking with people, sharing from the bottom of his heart how he feels about Bitcoin. I mean, you can tell it's genuine. I mean, oh, I, the, the interview with uh, Tucker Carlson he did recently, I mean, that right. reached so many conservative families. And that's where my heart, heart is. I think there's all these families out here who care about family, who care about, um, and, and they don't understand their times being stolen, their futures being mm-hmm. stolen. They don't understand what's making you know, their parents and go back to work and what's making their kids depressed. Like they don't get how much of this is part of the money being broken. And so um, we owe him credit for that. And he's also tried to be this kind of peacemaker, this liaison between hodlers and the state, right? Saying mm-hmm. to hodlers, like, look, there is a, you know, you can get more autonomy than you ever believed in terms of having unstoppable savings. And <laughs> there's also a story here for the state, right? There's a story for the government too. And I think he's carefully tried to walk that line. Um, it's a hard line. I mean, um, you know, it's easy to fall for the, the, the kind of covert Marxist poison pills of, of, of the progressive thinking, like, you know, the ESGs, it's, it's this environmental justice. It has nothing to do with governance when, but but if you look at ESGs as it relates to like Bitcoin mining, it like clearly that's that's um, reins being thrown around the Bitcoin industry so that it could be pulled in closer um, and corrupted by cronyism by money printing, and so that that's that's very bad for Bitcoin and um, and so like he has to be careful there because I think um, you know we're, we we like Michael but we're not naive and we're not going to. Um, we're not going to take that laying down, sort of speak. So, he, you know, I, I think he has to be a bit careful with that. Um, the other thing is this idea that um, Bitcoin is just a savings. Um, like, like Bitcoin is good enough to save, but, but you would still use a CBDC to spend. Because that's what I think he's kind of selling. He's like, okay, the state, you still get your CBDCs that you, you know, it's a fiat, your fiat currency, your digital fiat currency, and that's okay. And people get their savings, unstoppable savings account. And I could see why he would say that, right? Because from the state's point of view, if your employer paid you, right, if your employer paid you in this fiat CBDC, 
um, from that point forward, they can monitor everything you do and that's how they can um, levy taxes. So that's how they could fund themselves. And they're gonna need that in a Bitcoin world when uh, money printing no longer works, right? When, when, but, but the problem with that is, is that, um, well, I think, I think it's, um, I don't even think the state believes that to be honest. And, and so I think that's where that kind of balancing act starts to fall apart. Um, because, uh, like the truth is Bitcoin is going to birth, uh, countries on a Bitcoin standard like El Salvador, it's going to birth, um, a circular economy. And, um, you know, once you give people a bare asset and they're able to hold their money, finally, um, I see no reason they would ever hold a paper money that merely has a backing bucket. Um, like in a way, a back, like the presence of a backing bucket makes the money DOA now that we have Bitcoin. Because the presence of a backing bucket, like as you have a new dollar CBDC and it's backed by um, SDRs, that backing bucket is proof that it will soon give way it will soon erode to make way for money printing. The mere presence of that. And so it's almost like once a true bearer instrument is makes its way onto earth, it's kind of kills the value proposition of CBDCs. The only, the only value at that point is uh, surveillance, right? That's the only value that's left because if, if individuals hold their monetary energy in Bitcoin, um, you, the 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 ability to to cast seniorage across the world is destroyed. So um, yeah, I, I mean I, I'm net positive on Michael because I think uh, I, I think I have a good read on his heart, and I think he really is a Bitcoiner. Um, but uh, you know, I think as a, as a group, we we need to play the board. We need to play the geopolitics game, um, and so regulatory capture through. Uh, ESGs is a big deal. Um, I think so. We need to play the board carefully and make sure that mining is distributed at homes by different companies across countries. Um, uh, surveillance money, which is all CBDCs, is cracked up to be. We can't be naive about that. So I think, like within the Bitcoin community, you know, pitching, you know, supporting that, I think is dangerous because you're essentially supporting the Great Reset at that point. You're saying. Um, Listen, you'll have enough freedom to save your time and effort, but that's where it'll end and it'll be, you know, um, the panopticon otherwise. So I, I don't think that that's a good message coming out of the, the Bitcoin community. But at the same time, like, listen, I'm over here at NIM sitting, you know, sitting in the South on my own time. Of course, I can talk about these things. Sailors in boardrooms with, with, with you know, BlackRock and, you know, so... Uh, mm he has to have finesse. And so, um, you know, okay. There, there is a very, very small chance, a very small chance that the U S knowing it's going to lose reserve currency, knowing it's going to lose global dominance is, is going to pull a kind of, okay, if we can't have it, no one can and, and pivot onto Bitcoin and basically, um, uh, give itself uh, Jubilee using Bitcoin and 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 free itself of the of the fiat monetary system um, as a way of ensuring that um, the system you know it's it, it's that that classic well if we can't have it we're going to destroy it and there's a tiny 
there's a tiny little sliver of chance that um, that that is a real thing. And, um, you know, when I, I, to a certain degree, I look at like Michael Saylor and even like, um, who's this, uh, who's this guy that's really popular from Spook Force again? Lowry. Um, mm. Like those two together, you know, they're almost pitching the, the pro-government, pro-Bitcoin, pro-US hegemony, right? Angle. And it's like, you know, I think the chance is so small. I don't put a lot of stock in it, but I will say, okay, if the U.S. government is is if we find out that they're the ones that created Bitcoin and they were willing to destroy the money printing game because they were going to lose uh, the reserve status, if that you know, and so it's some small nationalist patriot faction that 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 is left in the government. Um, and, and they end up being like Satoshi. They own all Satoshi's coins. I, I would say they will have earned it <laughs> if that really ends up being what happens. But I just think the probability is so small. I think what, and, and so, yeah, that's kind of my view. It's a, it's a little across the board. I'm a sailor fan, um, but I think uh, people aren't going to wait for legal tender, right? They're going to learn to live on Bitcoin. And, and, and uh, yeah, I, I, I don't see... You know how tightly these CBDCs are tied to reset and great reset and this agenda of um, you know this global communism, this social scoring communism. I, I really don't see how it's compatible with anything in the Bitcoin ethos, other than just trying to buy time, <laughs> just trying to you know buy enough time to to stall long enough in the face of governments that Bitcoin is the roots are so deep that it can't be pulled out. I'm a huge fan of Mike and what he's done and what he stands for and the amount of people he's helped. I just worry he's made himself a target. That That's my main concern. I hope not. And and same goes for El Salvador. Like, look, um, what I, okay. I want, I think the right thing to, I believe I've judged both their hearts well enough to say, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. And I want to believe it's correct courage and i want to mm -hmm. award them and i want to hold them in a high place and 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 i want you know i want to believe that courage is contagious and that will and and you know with sailor it looks correct right like he seemed to have he seemed to have he was the first domino and it, it went from just Jeez. him to, to now look at the you know um mvk spreadsheet where he tracks the balance sheets yeah. of companies um like it's, it really is spreading. So, so in that respect, like it's hard to think of someone else, so another personality that's done as much as sailor, like on the world stage in terms of mm -hmm. the actual real adoption. And so, yeah, I want to contribute it to the guy has courage and, and it is scary. Courage means doing something, you know, is right when it is scary. Mm -hmm. um and and so i want to believe that that's what it is and I, i'm giving the guy the benefit of the doubt um it's a I, I couldn't do that dance and of course i always um have suspicions you know it's easy to look at anything we should be giving scrutiny to everything and everyone in regards to bitcoin um and the same thing with el salvador it's like in a certain angle couldn't they just be rounding up the bitcoiners in one place right you know you could say that and and maybe that's not paranoia. Paranoia. Um, what I but uh, what I want to believe is that El Salvador is the first domino, and these other Latin countries, or maybe a defector from the West, um, start to say, you know what? 
I want to play that game too. I'm sick of this game where we're getting screwed. We're getting forced to eat um, the inflation of these richer countries where we're basically yeah, exactly. in servitude, monetary servitude. Um, so we want to break out. So, so, you know, my heart's always going to be with optimism. I think don't be naive. We should, we should game theorize through all this stuff, but I'm always going to be on the, on team optimism. And so that makes Mike a, that makes sailor a hero and it makes um, El Salvador a hero uh, as, as it current stands, but that doesn't mean empirical new empirical data won't change that. So I'm going to keep my eyes open. Mm -hmm. And I'm just waiting for, because you know, the, Europe is a perfect, the perfect, the, you know, a small European nation, that um, you know is absolutely forced to accept the euro, um, and that it's just getting inflated away from them. Why? It's just a matter of time before one of these small European nations just stands up and says, "You know what? We're going to pull in El Salvador," uh, and the the brain drain from the other countries would just be almost instant. Like <laughs> you know the the the. The, the feeling here is, God damn, can someone just pull an El Salvador here so we can just all get there and build and live and create our citadels, uh, you know, meshtadels, whatever you want to call them, um, or our companies. Um, it's ripe. It's, it's truly ripe. Now, uh, mate, how much more time do you have? Because I've got one more subject I want to, you know, go deep on. Let's do it. Uh, you opened my eyes to this i'd never studied it before i'd never well of course i had i knew it existed but i'd never gone down the rabbit hole on it uh this and this word this you know the malthusian right um which uh you, you were throwing out on that first episode that you did with marty and then you took me down this whole uh, eugenics kind of um path um and for those people that that aren't aware of uh thomas malthus I think that's yep. how you um, would pronounce it. Right. Um, you know, I just, uh, you know, I've been doing some research into it. Uh, and and like this is one kind of sentence from his Wikipedia. Uh, well, he was born in Surrey in the UK in 1766. And as a child, he was bullied for his um, re like uh, webbed feet and a cleft palate, which affected his speech it is believed these defects sparked his interest in eugenics uh, and eugenics being the practice or advocacy of controlled selective breeding of human populations uh, by sterilization to improve the population's genetic composition. Man, <sighs> like, you know, what, what, got, a, what got you into this leader. subject? <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Right, so Malthus is a, is a, thought leader within the the international banking clique within the the the, the globalist academia um and and you know as far back as 70 years ago um it, you know you had the west um elites coming together in steering committees and in various names but they're all the same theme you know your bilderberg club of rome World Economic Forum, and what has come out of those is 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 the beginnings of world governments, so the the UN, the World Economic Forum, and the World Bank, and um, the the but but behind them was thinking, right? It was philosophy, it was was theory, it was they, they, there was a driving force because um, they, you know the, 
funny enough, I like I, I, I actually believe that the the mo- monopoly on money and the people that that benefit from this unlimited seniorage, um, they believe that they are the caretakers of the world. So they think that they are driving. You know, it's up to them to come up with the topmost narratives that the society is is um, governed by, right? So we operate within these societal narratives, these stories, these dramas. And they come up with those. So that's what they spend their time thinking. Okay, we need to steer society in this way for the good of all. How do we do it? What's the least evil way to do it? Or what, you know, whatever. Okay. And um, eugenics is a big part of what, of what they want to accomplish. And it, it, it's, you know, if, if, if you think through like a secular lens like away from religion, and you think through like you're you're steering the species, um, you know that echelon of society got really geeky into eugenics. Um, well, since before both world wars, um, but the idea was like we have a bunch of ailments and things we don't like, and we could improve that, and we might even be able to, you know, do perform some miracles on a long enough time frame. Physically, <laughs> genetically, um, and and that's the basis of where a, a lot of this nightmare emerges out of. Um, but Thomas Malthus is is a is is one of the academics, the thinkers, a, a eugenicist who um, he theorized that uh, there's a tipping point in terms of population. If we went past that tipping point, that we would actually spoil nature. The nature would no longer be able to support us. It would, um, and they call that the um, the Anthropocene. The Anthropocene. So the Anthropocene is is a progressive end of times. <laughs> so you know, mm-hmm. if you think pro- progressivism is is like a religion, the Anthropocene is their end of times saga. And um, and I, I actually think that that is the religion of global central banking and 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 the the wealthiest families on earth. Um, they firmly believe if we pass this tipping point that we will collapse nature and, and we will all die, for example, or, or, you know, it would be such uncontrolled catastrophe and, and chaos. Um, and so, you know, who else can work on that but them, right? Who else has a chance? You know, you have all these nations caught up in their own affairs. Who can tend to the biggest affairs of all? but the monopoly on money, the people that create credit. Um, and so I think that that, exp- you know, that I think is the fundamental driver of, of um, a lot of what we see. I mean, I, after I studied Malthus and, and, and the way, uh, the way I found out about Malthus was um, I was researching the UN and I, I saw that, okay, the UN I was reading the charter UNESCO and it was littered with, with um, eugenics and, and, and overpopulation fear. And, and this, this, um, this kind of fantasy to micromanage everything on earth, you know, centrally plan everything deeply. Um, and, and, and it had this, this vibe, this atmosphere of, it was going to create this utopia. So it was very communistic. Um, is what is what the UN uh, uh, cultural charter reads like, and so I started looking at the author, and I'm like, okay, um, 
Who's who is the author that wrote Brave New World? Oh, I don't know. I can find out. One second. Yeah, let's give me a search. It skipped my mind, but I know it. Brave New World. It's on the top of my tongue, tip of my tongue. Oh, Aldous Huxley. Yes. Okay. So um, the Huxley, Huxley family was connected into sort of this governance circle that's close to monopoly on money. Um, Aldous Huxley uh, uh, produced Brave New World, which terrified its readers. It's basically this, this futurist dystopian novel about a, a government that has such deep control um, uh, over its citizens that they one aren't fully aware of it and two are terrified at the idea of you know collectively they enjoy it they're sort of you know the, the term sedated the sedation of the masses um and uh, and so he put out brave new world and it wasn't but i think less than a decade later his brother put out the the un uh, cultural charter unesco hmm. um so it was the Huxley brothers, Brave New World and the UN Charter. And that blows people away to hear that that's real. Well, they're in the same circle that that they drank up uh, Malthus. Um, and so I think it's a real fear that uh, we are simply overpopulated. Now, the, the extremely ironic thing is if you look at the world population, um, it explodes. It goes parabolic in 1970, 1971, you could say. And, and, and so in a funny way, um, I don't think it's unreasonable to, to lay overpopulation at the feet of money printing. Um, you sort of have all of history. Um, we grew at this kind of linear rate and then money printing came and it, it, it disconnected. It kind of, um, it disconnected us from the actual costs of, of surviving and uh, population exploded. Um, so, so I think there is a real fear by the governing elite, by the monopoly on money, that uh, we can't stay in this parabola um, for population growth. And, and, so, um, and so I think over the last couple of decades, there's been an active like, um, uh, effort to, to, dis to, to introduce hormone disruptors into um, plastics and foods and waters, things that, that give them a lever, a way to start to down-engineer fertility. And that's been happening for a long time. And, and, and funny enough, I think a lot of our um, obsession as a culture with LGBTQ, um, uh, like, you know, a sort of exploration, I think comes from, um, is chemically induced. I mean, I think a lot of it is we, we've, we've really done such a number on sex hormone over the last couple of generations that, that it's affected um, us physically. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I don't think that that's where it ends. I mean, I think a, a lot of rolling up the West into a global government, I think is, is, you know, part of the ambitions there is to have better population control of total numbers. And, and I, I would go so far as to say like more socially just um, control of population so they can, you know, pick and choose what, what uh, an ideal uh, distribution of different types of people would look like in society. Um, and, and so the, there's an interesting pattern if you're, you're like a, someone who spots patterns like I do as it relates to, to 
Malthusian, and, and this is what made me, uh, Malthus, and it made me realize a lot of what we're being sold is actually just Malthusian fear spells um, that, that are serving to uh, create a, a one world government and, and, and population control. Um, and so like, I'll go through each one and, and, and tell me if you see the pattern. Mm-hmm. Okay. So let's take like um, COVID. Okay. So COVID is a worldwide catastrophe that is bigger than one nation. We, we all, we can't solve it alone. We must coordinate. We must eliminate, erase all previous norms and coordinate like we've never coordinated before across countries in order to be safe. So that, that's the pattern. Okay. Now, um, in uh, global warming. So global warming is a problem that's bigger than all nations. It threatens all of us. We must co- eliminate previous norms and coordinate like we've never coordinated before in order to overcome it. Same pattern. Um, let's go with terrorism. So terrorism is, is bigger than any one country. It threatens us all. We must coordinate like we never have before. Get rid of previous norms that don't work anymore and come up with a new way so that we can stay safe. Mm-hmm. Um, racism, you can pass through that. Uh, cyber terrorism, you can pass through it. So all of these forever wars, I've been calling them, these fear spells, are things that your your country can't solve by itself. And it's a big emergency. And the what we what we must do is coordinate. We need to bring our countries together and start working together to um, to overcome these global uh, emergencies. And, 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 and so, you know, and they work, they're extremely effective. Um, they create this mass fear, this trauma that people are terrified that the world might end in some form or another, unless we essentially create birth global governance, um, uh, uh, set our, our rights aside, because we're all in this together to solve these big issues, these emergencies of our time. And um, the, the thing that is terrifying to me is that is, is really just the vaccine pipeline. Because I, I see the, the, the social scoring system being tied to um, taking injections regularly. It reminds me of the, the book, The Giver, quite a bit. Um, so in order for you to be in good standing, you must take the injection. And it looks a lot like they're going to get rid of all previous vaccines and just roll it into a single mRNA duplex. So here's the, the shot, the government shot, the government medicine, and you have to take it um, regularly. And that's how you're in the system. And if you don't do that, you're out of the system. Um, so you can see where I'm going with this, which is, um, you know, if part of this this high-tech global governance system was that the gov- the state also had access to everyone's bloodstream, that would be really useful if one of your goals was to balance nature with the size of humanity. Some deep shit. Um, and, and just to be clear, I don't think we're witnessing a mass death event right now. Um, and certainly if you wanted to do this, you would need internet passports and you would need information control because uh, the only way you could dial the world population from like 7.9 billion down to even half, right? Um, it, you would only be able to do it if people didn't know what was reality or not, 
right? And so the fact, you know, that we could have this this podcast or that the fact that we, we could have, um, I could make these decentralized encrypted communities, right? And that we can communicate things. That is a problem uh, for, you know, for actually having precise control over population numbers. And, and, and so like, what would be more realistic? I think a more realistic thing would be like, okay, um, roll out the vaccine pipeline, normalize it, Within reason, let's do a couple experiments. And I've seen some data suggesting that a couple cohorts of, of vaccine distributions were more um, deadly than others, which is a terrifying thing that seems to support what I'm suggesting. Mm-hmm. Um, let's do some experiments so we can understand, right? Do we really have this dial and what type of control is it going to give us, right? When everyone's taking it. Um, and then I would wait, I mean, you know, if you are, if you are uh, steering the, the world, you want to do it covertly. So I, you know, if it were me, I was in the monopoly on money. I was genuinely concerned that we needed to save the world, that it was going to collapse otherwise. Um, or maybe, you know, maybe I just wanted to claw back the best parts of the world, right? Maybe these useless feeders don't bring enough to the table. You know, we're just going to do eugenics on them. That's enough value, but we don't need 8 billion. Maybe we only need a billion to do these experiments, right? So maybe that's the angle. It's, it's, it's hard to say, but I would do it convert covertly. I would do it in such a way that I could do it over the coming decades. You know, they'd probably be completely fine if they could dial things down over 50 years, over 100 years, because that gives them plenty of time to come up with whatever story they need to tell us. You know, they're telling us now babies have heart attacks and it's normal. So, you know, imagine that over, imagine that over decades as the population's cut in half a, a few times, right? And, and, and so I don't think it's out of the question, um, you know, the fact that you can't immediately dismiss it is what's absurd to me. Um, and, uh, but I, but, you know, I think a lot of people are terrified of this and it's par- like, it's, it's like paralysis for them. And I would, I would caution that. I mean, I would, I would stay grounded. I don't think we're seeing an overt mass death event. Um, I, if, you know, I, I think just like with the social score, the vet, the, like an mRNA duplex where everyone takes it and it can contain anything you want. That's a leverage point. It's a dial. So it lets you do all sorts of things. And another way to think about it is like from a, a money point of view. Um, so, when, when you're resetting the world monetary system, you need growth stories for the next chapter, right? So you need all these exciting growth stories that your, um, that your, you know, your, your multinational corporations are excited about. Um, transhumanism is like, think about it. That's, it's mind boggling. What a, in, what an industry that could be. Um, suddenly you don't have any trials. Um, you're just able to treat humans like guinea pigs. Think of all the things they might try right? It's normalized. The state upholds it. The state has your back. So think of all the things that you could do. The state has a use for it too. So in terms of growth stories, like look at the Great Reset. They're talking about transhumanism, eugenics, population control, uh, soy food. So this, these high margin synthetic foods um, they're talking about, like, because at the end of the day, um, you know, you will own nothing and be happy. Why, why are these governments paying for our life? Why are they making things free for us? Why don't I need a job anymore, right? There has to be some, something in it for them. Um, so, so you look at like Facebook, you use Facebook for free. Why? It's because they make a lot of 
profit, a lot of money by treating you as the product, right? They, they aggressively monetize you. And I think that's what, um, that's what the state is learning from big tech. I mean, I think that's part of why they're partnering with them is that um, if, if it is true that call it, let's say 80% of the world is useless feeders, meaning we consume resources and we don't bring enough to the table. And it's also true that the government's gonna give us all a free ride now, right? So we're no longer gonna have to do anything and robots and AI and machine learning and um, all this new tech is going to actually, that's where all the productivity is going to come from. If those two things are true, then why? Why support 80% of the world? For free, like what's in it for them? And, and the only thing I can come up with is, um, well, there's a frontier that we haven't crossed, which the final frontier, which is actually treating humans like goods and services. And that's where you get, um, uh, uh, you know, that would explain a lot why big tech and big pharma and even the government itself is so excited <laughs> over the Great Reset, because a lot of the Great Reset just looks like productizing humans. Um, and if you're a Christian and, you know, you know, it's not hard to look at that and say, well, that's the no-no zone. You, you do not cross into the zone where, you know, everyone is a slave and, and people don't have choices and you can experiment on them. And I would agree with that. I just, it's, it's the optics aren't great. It certainly does have that shape. And when you consider that one of the academics, academics that um, these globalists, these the monopoly on money that they really idolize is Thomas Malthus. And you consider all these forever wars that are basically make us think our existence is selfish and that um, even the nation state is selfish, right? We really have to combine everything so we can all focus on the pandemic and focus on climate change and focus on all these things that are going to end the world. Um, you know, it really makes you wonder, um, yeah, what's behind that? And, you know, if, if you were to say like, okay, it's an evil behind it. Okay, maybe it's, yeah, maybe it's a, a cabal and they have a Luciferian objective, right? They're, they, they want to um, capture man and evolve themselves into angels to embarrass God and create heaven on earth. Like, okay, there's a conversation there. Maybe it's, it really is, they think that the world will end in those ways. So there's a, you know, there's objective empirical evidence and they freak themselves out and now they're gonna try and get reins on the world population and dial it down. Okay, there's a conversation there. Um, maybe it's a matter of, um, you know, they think there is a jobs crisis where we aren't gonna have the skills to compete with the AI and robotics and machine learning that they own, that only a small percentage of people own. So most of the world's gonna be disenfranchised by that that revolution. So you need some answer. So why not, you know, herd these, herd the population into cities where you could run a communist, a communist-like society. And that's the answer. And you slowly dial it down over time using covert eugenics, covert um, hormone, uh, uh, you know, uh, mechanisms that down-engineer hormone, down-engineer fertility. The mRNA duplex is probably way more efficient at doing that than trying to stuff it into food, but they'll probably do it from every angle. So, you know, it, it, it's, it's so hard to, to come at this topic because there's so many ways you could go. Um, all I can say is the empirical data as it relates to reset and, and the optics aren't great. I mean, there certainly is an element to um, th this new form of government that they're launching is not satisfied with just monitoring 
where you move and what you do online, they want in your body too, for some reason, and they're really insistent on it. Oh, there's a lot to freaking put on there. Um, I, I think the first thing we need to tackle, um, which helped me, um, was because I, I would just in the, in the, you know, Fiat Dan would have just screamed conspiracist at you, you know, like, uh, what, what, what are you talking about? But, um, in your re most recent interview, I think with Marty, uh, you laid it out. It's like, well, you know, let, let's all accept that it's a thing. Let's all accept that this happens. Like, you know, population control has been throughout our whole lives, whether, you look at, uh, you know, contraception in the form of condoms or, you know, the, the uh, birth control pill or the morning after pill. Um, there, there's there's other uh, ways that it's been happening as well, you know, to, to boost population. I lived in Singapore where they were giving out bonuses to Singaporean citizens to have children, right? This is, they incentivized populations. That That is a form of eugenics in itself, right? And you, you look through history, I mean, what was the chastity belt, if nothing but population control? You know, it's um, it, it's kind of getting comfortable with the fact that this is something that happens, and you know, taking that kind of approach to it to be able to kind of then have this kind of discussion. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, okay. The hard fact is, the governors that take the long view over the world, um, the the people that defend. Uh, seniorage, they see a parabola in population that started in the 1970s and it points straight up and it's still pointing straight up. And um, they know that that's not sociably acceptable to talk about, but if, it doesn't take a lot of looking to see that, um, uh, th that it has been broadly socialized and it's part of the great reset. And, and um, you know, I'm not making a statement about what's happening. I'm, I, I'm holding that in one hand, that thesis. And then I'm saying a lot of these, a lot of the empirical data does not bode well in terms of saying it's not happening, right? Seeing a, a, a injection pipeline rolled out to the whole world does not bode well for saying it's not happening. Um, seeing, uh, seeing a move away from ancestral eating, so eating animal mm -hmm. products, towards um, these estrogen-laden synthetic products, that does not bode well uh, for trying to disprove uh, a population control agenda. Um, so, <laughs> um, I mean, China, you know, at least China had the balls to have the one-child policy. You know, I right. kind of go back There you to go. That. There's another example. <laughs> <laughs> I got I to go back to that. And, and yeah. you know, so, so this isn't the main oomph of my thesis, but it, it, there's an interesting conversation about why, and you know, it could simply be that you know they're going along AI, machine learning, computer vision, robotics, and they're shorting human labor. It could be as simple as that, and and they need a mechanism tra to transition to that new era because um, those will all be privately owned. Those technologies, that's not going, you know, that's not part of the socialist deal. You don't get to own that stuff. <laughs> you, you know, you get your pod and you get your pod food and, and your social score. They get the AI and the robotics and the space travel and right. And so, so that, you know, I think that that's probably the best explanation, which is they see a phase shift in society and, um, you know, fortunately for us, unfortunately for them, I think Bitcoin is, is, is going to, um, you know, it's really going to, well, I think it's, it, it's going to completely unravel 
um, a lot of their, you know, their decades of planning and unravel everything they thought the future was going to be. And if you study anything about cycles, you'll see that that is true. Um, you know, there, there's a pendulum that oscillates between um, uh, like peak centralization and peak individ individualism individualism and we're at peak centralization and the pendulum is oscillating towards individualism right now and in a way the great reset is like the the the, the primary goal might actually be trying to fight that gravity trying for the first time ever to prevent the pendulum from going away from the state away from the collective away from peak centralization and and that's why i think it doesn't look great i mean when i view the last two years, like, okay, they have some wins on the board, but I mean, I give it like a C plus and, 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 and the trajectory is not awesome right now. Like mm -hmm. you really do, you have people kind of waking up and seeing, you know, they don't need to, they don't need to take in the whole thesis as I see it. Really all that matters is people realize that COVID was, is a sham, right? Um, even if you think it was it was a strong designer virus for a couple months and now it's endemic and now it's like let's move on that's enough for people to say no we don't need movement passports right stop go away no more vaccine passports right and if you don't get the vaccine passports it's going to be really hard to go to the same people and push um internet passports on and if you don't get the internet passports um well then what is your social score based on what is it based on, right? And who does the enforcing of it, right? Because it kind of blows the whole thing out of the water. And so I think there's a, a broad enough and, and, and strong enough group of people that see what's happening um, that for me, I like, I don't know, I'm kind of walking with a light step and I'm, I'm fairly optimistic right now, let alone, you know, all the while this is happening, um, Bitcoin is, is, is coming into its own. And more and more people are realizing not only do we ha not have to corroborate and create this world government and help them, because that's what they need help. They need everyone's help to create this, this great reset world government. So you simply just have to say no and just go, it's eh, not for me. But then you also have a money that they can't control that you can be like, ooh, let's do that thing. And so like, to, to me, it, it's hard to be pessimistic. I mean, to us, to a certain degree, yeah, there's something about, you know, you, you can peer into the void and look how terrifying the truth is. And, and I really do believe it is at least as terrifying as I'm imagining it. <laughs> it's probably worse. Mm -hmm. um, but, but, but I'm still completely optimistic because I just think, well, I wouldn't want to be them right now. I mean, I, I'm not sure how I could capture Bitcoin. I don't know how, how I could do that. Um, the countries that um, that are really waking up and saying no to vaccine passports and kind of stepping back and saying -uh, none of this, I'm not sure how I would embroil them back into the COVID stick, right? Um, you know, with Africa, they had a few people that tried to to they tried to say no and they went and assassinated the, their premiers. But it's like we're so late in the game, you can't like Kazakhstan doesn't look like it's going like. I feel like um, we're at a phase shift where Omicron kind of looks like a flop. I mean, they're in a precarious position. Like they really have to keep the hysteria loop alive. I don't think, I think they're doing a bad job. I think it, it's, we're pretty close to it falling apart. So they'll need some new catalyst to, to re-implement a hysteria loop. And I mean, if all they got is they're just going to keep renaming 
coming up with these new named variants? Like, is that all they, is that, is that it? Something has to happen next or, you know, I think it, it bodes very badly for the great reset and for monetary reset. It really does. And um, I can't remember if I sent you this link before. Have you, have you ever seen the books that Stanley Johnson has written? Uh, the, you know, the father of um, the UK's uh, prime minister. No. Oh yeah. You're, you're Boris Johnson's uh, eugenicist father. Yeah. Um, yes. I've seen the titles and, and, and like, it's perfect. So, you know, there's a, there's a group of, it's like 150 some odd families that preside over the monopoly on money. They defend money creation, credit creation, to be more clear, because that's, that's the way that the world operates. And, and they've done so for like 400 years. And that click and the, and the, the people that get to hang out with them, they're obsessed with this stuff. They're obsessed mm. with eugenics. They're obsessed with population control. They're obsessed with communism. I mean, they created it. They're obsessed with, you know, um, what what was uh, developed in China is like communism 2.0, right? They looked at the Soviet Russia and they said, okay, what doesn't work, what worked? And they went, okay, well, we can't take over the means of production. That doesn't work. We need to partner with industry. So we need to have fascist partners because that worked in Germany. Okay. Um, and then they came up with this high-tech stuff with social scoring. So, you know, what's being imported to the West really is a kind of like communism 2.0. Yeah, for, and, for... And, and Johnson's father, I mean, mm -hmm. it's, it's exactly that click. That's exactly what they all talk about. You should read the titles while on the pod. Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to read them out here. Like, yeah. um, <laughs> and these were written like some of them back in, uh, like, uh, the eighties and nineties, I think, uh, perhaps even perhaps in the seventies, it's pretty blurry, but you, you, all you got to do is go to stanleyjohnson.org forward slash books. And, uh, first of all, his bestseller, which got re-released in March, 2020 is called the virus. You know, wow, really? That's amazing. What a coincidence. But then uh, you have uh, the politics of population, the population problem, uh, world population turning the tide, world population and the United Nations. I mean, th this isn't bullshit, right? This is on his homepage. And he is the father of the sitting prime minister who has been very um compliant with um with, with the kind of uh, global messaging around covid and forcing you know british citizens into lockdown it's it's crazy uh, and here we are having this conversation many people might be thinking what a bunch of freaking conspiracy theorists not jobs but like you know these these conversations need to need to happen and one thing i want to bring your attention to as well because uh you, you you brushed on it uh you were talking about the old gbtq movement and and how that's kind of um just gaining ground or, or been infiltrated and um you know taken to the next level um you know why you know why is there so many people out there that um are having trouble um identifying with uh, their their sex and this comes back again, like you said it almost perfectly. You teed me up brilliantly. I think you said soy about three or four sentences after that. And um, yeah, just one quick, one quick Google search here. And uh, here it is written. Uh, soy protein contains high amounts of uh, genistein, an estrogen-like compound. Like other estrogen-mimicking chemicals found in the environment, genistein, I'm 
pronouncing it wrong, excuse me, can alter the body's endocrine system and potentially interfere with normal hormonal development. Where do we find lots and lots of soy protein? Yes, in our baby formula. And baby formula has more estrogen than birth control. Um, I think, so you're feeding babies, I think it's like eight, eight pills of birth control in each container, which is blew my mind. The fact that that is true. You can go see it's, it's, you know, and Japanese scientists found they could turn, they could change the sex of a male fish to a female with soy. And, and so like having estrogen fillers in all of our food, it's not just because that's an easy product to grow. And, and with GMO, it's, it's, you know, they can, they can extract the most amount of yield uh, out of monocropping. It's not just because of that. I mean, it's also because of the hormone, um, the, the hormone uh, disruptor element. I mean, you know, it, ironically, um, so, so, you know, if you've read The Giver, you know, The Giver is about um, a people that, that uh, funny enough, they, they were, they had this Malthusian, <laughs> they were faced with this kind of anthropogenic, anthropogenic um, uh, uh, end of times where they, they had destroyed nature. Okay. So in response, they made a perfect commune. Um, and the, the way that it worked is everyone took injections regularly because that killed your your primal emotions and no one had families. So you oh, you belong to this, the commune, right? I um, mean, they assigned jobs and they assigned families who you were with and, and uh, they did population control eugenics, but it was covert. So they had this ceremony around like, oh, his time is over and everyone would say goodbye. And then um, they had a story for what that meant, but really they would give you an injection and you were, you were gone. And this is in the giver and it's a really good um, reflection of like a, a, a telltale on communism because communism is obsessed with eliminating um, in Marxism, eliminating the family, making the state, the family, making central planners, uh, the God, um, eliminating God, eliminating family, all the autonomy of the individual communism is obsessed with that too. Marxism is, and it's no coincidence that, um, that a lot of the, the culture of LGBTQ is this kind of Marxist trope. I mean, I think most of them are just confused. They're copying each other. They're mimicking, right? So they don't actually understand the deeper implications or they really don't understand the academia of it at all, let alone the fact that it was bankrolled and created by central planners <laughs> within the monopoly of money. But, um, you know, I think there's just something so ironic that you know, like uh, we have this terrible view of gay conversion therapy, right? Oh my gosh, how cruel is that? You're you're taking gay people and you're trying to make them straight. But what's more ironic to me is is the gay conversion therapy that's been chemically um, uh, uh, propagated at, at a global mass scale through hormone disruptors. Um, you know, chemically you can be made, uh, you can be emasculated, right? Chemically, you can be made infertile, in and and you can and it can be done through food. And and so, like the question I have is like, what if if we were growing up on sun and meat and physical exercise, what percentage of the world would have have gone for this LGBTQ culture? I genuinely am curious the error margin, right? Because there's some amount of um, there's some amount of just creative um, uh, eccentrics who are naturally gay. And I think that's probably been the case all through history. Like, fantastic. Everyone should be who they are. But there is some amount, and, and I think it's probably not small, of, of 
chemically created people who are confused because their testosterone is dropped through the, the floor and never fully developed because they've been inundated with estrogens. And this is, again, this, this ties back to the food and we're having this massive push right now to start eating soy-based plant products, you know, that look like meat, right? The fake meat. And who's at the freaking forefront of all of this? Of course, Bill Gates owns the biggest amount of farmland in the world. Uh, you know, what's he going to be growing on that farmland? And, uh, you know, all, all of these other, like, influencers and celebrities nowadays that uh, are pushing this narrative, it's, it's mental. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I'm in every single institution about health agreeing, you know, it's all the tropes, all the old fibs, right? That mm -hmm. saturated fat is, is bad for you. Salt is bad for eggs you. Eggs are bad for you. Reduced eggs, uh, sun causes, you know, skin cancer. When the reality <laughs> is, when the reality, you know, and, and now as the empirical data showing estrogen is terrible for you, vegetable oils are absolutely insanely bad for you in terms of Big causing, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, uh, a sunscreen itself is being shown to cause skin cancer. So like the reality is our species evolved, you know, to be in the sun, exert ourselves mm -hmm. heavily, to eat, to eat animal products and plant products. We're evolved omnivores, but un, un, um, you know, unmodified, right? Wild mm -hmm. product, mostly animal products when we have a choice. Um, and, 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 you know, the funny thing is, is, when you have cholesterol in your body from uh, from animal products, that it's a deliver it's a delivery uh, um, it's a delivery uh, 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 molecule. So it's not a bad molecule. It's a, you should have it. You need it. Mm -hmm. um, and when you're in the sun, that activates all sixteen forms of vitamin D hormone. Cholesterol is what delivers that hormone to your body. So you need animal products in order to synthesize vitamin D in order to be healthy. Vitamin D is the, the main hormone in your body. The funny thing is, is that if you eat vegetable oils, you have full body inflammation, especially in the arteries, in your heart. And guess what cholesterol's response is to that? It actually goes to your arteries and tries to repair that inflamed tissue and it hardens them. So if you have inflammation, no wonder they thought cholesterol is bad because cholesterol is trying to repair that inflammation. So you, a lot of the heart disease comes is infl the root cause is inflammation from processed man-created food. You know, vegetable oil is just GMO rapeseed that they've industrialized in World War for creating engine oil. Uh, when the World War was done, they had to figure out how to sell it to us. Um, and, you know, it's, 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 it's crazy how far we are from just living healthy ancestrally. Um, and, and, you know, in a way that is an attack vector, right? Just not living the way our ancestors used to. You've opened up um, a way into your body, into your family's body, because you're eating prepared food, you're eating industrialized food, and you can't really say what's going on. But soy, soy products really is the... It really is a crescendo because it's like you look at the data and you're like, well, what have we done? What have, what have we done? Oh, man, what a rip. I, I think we've <laughs> I think we've I think we've beaten the record. <laughs> <laughs> what a rip. Um, I got to well, ask you know, one more question. All right. All right. If you had one last orange pill left to give to somebody, who would you give it to and why? 
I think I want to see my, I want to see a defector in the West. So I think I would give it to some key uh, moneyed person in Europe or politician who actually has to sit and probably a moneyed person in Europe. So key investor that would actually act as a domino and uh, increase the chance that we'll get a defector of the great reset in a Western country. Cause I think if we see one of those in the next 18 months, it's going to make me so bullish on freedom and, and, and a happy ending. Yeah. Um, like you, I remain optimistic. I mean, there's been a lot of pessimism in this conversation because it's been real. It's been, you know, addressing the issues at hand, uh, going deep on some of these topics and trying to think about them all from first principles and from a uh, historical context as well. Hopefully a few truth bombs have uh, rained down on some of the listeners. This is probably going to be a multi-listen uh, like I said at the beginning of the show, mate, I think you're doing an amazing job um, coming out of nowhere, coming out of left field with this kind of narrative. Uh, you, you've helped me kind of make more sense of what's going on around the world, because like you said, you were probably bashing your head against a brick wall, trying to look around yourself like, how can nobody else see that this just doesn't make sense? We're being sold something and I cannot figure it out. So you've, you've done a, a brilliant job. And, uh, you know, I speak again on behalf of the community. Well, I really appreciate being on. I think what like the parting words I would say is is that um, you know, okay, it's it's mentally engaging to connect these dots and try and formulate a larger thesis that that is coherent, right? That that actually explains um, the way uh, the 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 way that explains what we're seeing. The fundamentally, what we're seeing is they're trying to extend the fiat experiment, um, and they want to bunt and they want more central powers than you know you can even imagine and, and that fundamentally explains what we're seeing um, because you know they want to govern the world as a single unit and and that's been the case for decades and and now it's engaging to think about that but don't let it don't let it paralyze you I mean the truth is this great reset doesn't need your help to fail it doesn't so you know my advice to people is to, you know, move down the risk gradient, opt out and, you know, just make yourself expensive to tyranny, which is like, probably don't be in a city going crazy right now, like, get a little further away from that stuff. And, you know, it's probably nice to get off big tech too, right? Like get off Gmail and get off micro, you know, Windows and get off your main tech stuff, because a lot of this system will show up there. Um, so it's a good time to geek out on like Linux and a de-googled phone and, you know, Proton Mail and DuckDuckGo, you know, it's a good time to like roll your own sovereign stack. You, you know, you're going to have time out in the country anyways, um, or at least out of the out of the epicenter of the Great Reset and um, focus on Bitcoin. Like, what would it mean to make your family a Bitcoin family? Because um, when the, the Great Reset collapses, if you're down the risk gradient, focused on the Bitcoin era, um, that's going to make things way more tolerable. And that's how we win anyways. They don't need help you know, it's not even about stopping the Great Reset. They don't need help failing. So let's focus on Bitcoin. Um, you know, let's not be naive. We should be aware of the challenges uh, on the global scale, the geopolitics, um, only such that it it really, you know, creates a solid why, why we're here to focus on our families and focus on the individual and focus on Bitcoin and focus on creating this kind of unstoppable, peaceful society. There's stormy waters ahead for them as well, right? Because they've got each other's game theories to to start 
dealing with too. I mean, it's all been a beautiful collusion until this point. Until yeah, they're in a prisoner's dilemma that that is terrifying. Uh, honestly, if you're trying to coordinate with all these other states on the Great Reset, it's only going to take one defector. And I wouldn't be surprised if they're already betraying each other and backstabbing each other. I mean. Mm. Um, with Bitcoin on the sidelines, all you have to do is grab that. I mean, you might even want to build a little as an insurance policy. And I'm, I'm assuming that's what we're seeing. Um, you know, they can't capture it because you would have to capture it globally. Um, yeah, they're in a really bad place. So um, I would say let them do their thing. Get away from it. Don't doom scroll. Don't get obsessed with it. You know, pods like this can help you kind of come up with a bigger sense of what's going on. But really focus on the bitcoin era you have a huge head start there's so much ahead of us that's where our attention should be stack sats people you had it right here laser hodl is telling you to stack sats it's true <laughs> brother it's been uh it's been an awesome hang um yeah and i've just looked at the time we have gone whoa like two hours 45 minutes deep i think at this stage um other than Twitter, is there anywhere else uh, that you're putting out any content that you'd like people to uh, come and find you? What What's the best way for them to uh, interact? Let's see. Twitter laser hodl, um, Bitcoin hackers laser hodl, Gab laser hodl, Getter laser hodl. I'll have a laserhodl.com coming out this year. I'm going to be shifting from pods to writing to get some long form thinking out. Um, after January, so I'll do a few more pods, and uh, yeah, because I think I think the signal is out at this point. I think people are waking up. They get this is about the monetary system. It's not about influenza. <laughs> so um, I feel I feel good about that, and and uh, I just want to get more of my people down the risk gradient, more of them away from the blast radius, so that we can do the Bitcoin thing. And 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 uh, so yeah, Twitter's the primary place, and I'll see you there. Will you, like, you don't have to answer this, will you ever show up in person at any of these conferences? Will people be able to figure out who you are and you're happy, you know, if that happens or are you just going to try and steer completely clear? Uh, I think it's it's not a very good chance that I'll ever be seen in person. <laughs> uh, I, I think, it's, it's, you know, I think there's a lot of, I think if, if if all I can bring to the space is making people realize the nature of the state and the nature of seniorage and making people realize what a huge opportunity we have in Bitcoin and, and that we can truly create an amazing future that's about individuals, that's about families. If that's what I can bring to the space, I'm happy. I, you know, I don't, I don't need much out of it. You know, I'm already... Mm -hmm. I'm already retired. I have my little spot in the country with my family. That's all I really care about. So, all right. Well, you know, as much as I'd love to meet you, um, you know, if you can uh, imagine that last scene in Batman, if you if we're ever sat across from each other in a courtyard in Italy having a coffee, can you just give me that look so I know it's you? And I, I won't come and approach you, but you know, we could just have that moment. I'll give you like the I'll give you like the triple wink. The triple wink. You'll know. All right, man. Well, I really appreciate it. Uh, great rip. Have uh, have a great week ahead, and um, yeah, look forward to um, listening to your next episode or the uh, the next article that you uh, drop. Thank y'all. All right, man. Take care. Whoa. Well, plebs. What did you think of that? That was laser hodl, going deep, and taking me with him 
This is what I love about this space. I have never ever let my mind wander into these directions ever before and to be exposed now to people like Laser Hoddle who are willing to come on the show and everybody else, the other 200 guests or so that have just lifted my game mentally, intellectually over the last few years is just crazy and I can't believe I get to have these conversations let alone record them and then let everybody else listen to them, which is still kind of freaky. But these are important conversations to have. Like, you, you know, following these thought processes and letting your mind wander there and then bringing it back and you know, building a, a thesis on first principles. Yeah, you're not taught to do that at school, are you? Let's be fair. That is what is so special about this this um, this asset, this this group of people. So you know, stay plugged in. There'll be more and more of these coming throughout the year. Uh, as I said, um, you know, we're two years in. We'll be doing another year, no problem. Still really enjoying it. Love all the banter on Twitter. Keep it coming. Thank you for sharing, liking, rating, reviewing, subscribing, streaming, whatever it is you do. Make sure you check out the show sponsors. Hit up the show notes. You know who they are now. It's Swan Bitcoin in the US. It's Bitcoin Reserve, Coin Corner, and Relay across Europe where you can stack, take control of your coins with Shift Crypto and the Bitbox 2 Bitcoin only wallet, and get to the conference 6th and the 9th of April. Use code BITTEN for 10% off all your tickets. Catch you on the next show. Thanks again, Laser.